It's time for Twig This Week in Google. Stacy's here, Jeff's here, Ant's here. We're going to start the show by talking to a Google employee who was just laid off in kind of a unpleasant manner. What's it like to get laid off? What are his plans for the future? And why does he think these cuts are happening? I wanted to get a personal look at all these layoffs and so many people as many as 200,000 people have been laid off in tech this month. We'll also uh, take a look at uh, a very big lawsuit against Google from the Department of Justice. This one might have some merit. Uh, and, of course, Section 230 under attack. I think I've changed my tune on this. It's all coming up next on Twig. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twig. This is Twig, This Week in Google, episode 700 for Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Impecunious Mods. This Week in Google is brought to you by HPE GreenLake, orchestrated by the experts at CDW, who can help you consolidate and manage all your data in one flexible edge-to-cloud platform to scale and innovate. Learn more at cdw.com. Slash HPE. Thanks for listening to this show. As an ad-supported network, we are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Twig This Week in Google, the show that has very little to do with Google. Actually, this week it might be different. Facebook, the Twitterverse... Elon Muskiverse. We got to come up with a new name for Elon. I'm seeing so many good creative names on Mastodon for Elon Musk. Uh, Space <laughs> Karen, you know, anyway, all of that stuff. Uh, let's say hello to our panel joining us from uh, her lair on an island somewhere up north. Stacy Higginbotham, Stacy on IOT.com, Giga Stacy on the Twitter. Hello, Stacy. Hello, y'all. Looks good out your window. Looks like a beautiful day. On uh, Evil Island, Evil Dragon Island. No, it's just cloudy, but it's bright and cloudy. Yeah, it's bright, and the plants are happy. We're getting ready for yes. a super bloom here in California, thanks to all those rains. <laughs> Jeff Jarvis, he uh, he is a super journalist at BuzzMachine.com, uh, at Jeff Jarvis on the Mastodon. His new book about Gutenberg comes out early no, June. early this year. I forgot. It's this year now. Yeah, June. This June. Yeah, this June. bit.ly slash by Gutenberg. did the uh, proofreading. Oh, that's my. That's the worst part. You don't have a lot of uh, post-it note flags in there. That's, that mine was loaded with that. I had to take the sheets that. out to PDF them to the typesetters. Oh, good Lord. And, and I, I, I tweeted a segment today, and then I saw another missing comma. I've got to go back in. It's a torture. It's just... Ah, those missing commas. He's the Leonard Tao Professor for Journalistic Innovation who never misses a comma at the Craig... Craig, Craig, Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. New York. New York. Also a hands-on photography host... Our club manager, Ant Pruitt, in the house at twit.tv slash hop. Hi, Ant. Hello, sir. You brought a friend. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I brought a friend, but I don't know if it's in the 
the best of news. Not in the best of times. Um, so we talk. So I sort of feel bad. <laughs> well, no, actually, I'm really glad because we talk a lot of. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about big layoffs in tech. You know, twelve thousand people at Google, eleven thousand at uh, Microsoft, Facebook. All right. Uh, but there's no face to it. And I always try to say, you know, layoffs are always terrible. And then we always talk about why and the companies and so forth. Let's bring a face to it. One of the things I noted, uh, I've been noticing over the last couple of weeks on Twitter, is as Google lays off people, I'm seeing farewells on uh, Twitter and uh, Mastodon from Google engineers, many of whom have been, have been there for years. And this kind of, it's not a... Stacey, are you wrapping presents? No, I'm so sorry. I have cough drops and I just had to, I was putting them away. I'm so sorry. It's, are you, are you I, that I'm person really sorry. in the movie theater who takes 10 minutes to open the package? Are you that Holy person? Cow. Would you no, like, I was. I was like, I like, need to put the cough drops away so I can do my job. But you, I'm also you, like, but the you, cough drops you, make me feel better. Would you like a junior mint? They're curiously refreshing. <laughs> just don't, just don't drop it into the open corpse of Richard Hay. Okay. Uh, so sorry. Richard Hay is here. He is the face of all of those layoffs. Google cutting twelve thousand jobs, and uh, I'd, first of all. I don't want to say condolences, but I'm sorry that it happened. How long were you at, at Google, Richard? Uh, well, I was at Google uh, from uh, July of 2007 to Friday. Well, and technically we're still employed until March 31st. You, oh. you learned uh, but, of this in a very um, unpleasant way. Yeah, they, uh, they did send a, a, you know, a company script. Uh, you know, form letter type of you try to log in and it redirects you to a, I'm sorry to inform you that Ooh. your dog died. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was, but actually I heard about it before that email I saw because one of the software developers in Belgium uh, sent me a message on LinkedIn and said that he saw that I was impacted and was I okay? And I didn't even know there was a layoff yet. Oh, son of a. Well, but see, you'd rather hear it from a friend. Okay. Then than the script that you get. And I, and I later asked him, how did he even know that I was impacted? And he said they had created a group inside of Google of all the people that were impacted, and he was just looking through usernames, and he saw oh. mine. And so that's how he knew it was So me. there was a spreadsheet somewhere or something. So Richard, Well, they I, I, have... I guess throughout the course of the day, they actually blocked access because they didn't want people doing that, but he got it, he got it before they blocked it. Right? Time zone. Richard, I had, I had breakfast with a friend at, at Google's by happenstance yesterday. And he said that his boss has hundreds of employees and didn't know that it was oh, my that boss high that it was done. Your boss. Yeah, it know. was, it was, yeah, my boss. I mean, I, I called him. I said, did you, and I just had a meeting with him on Tuesday. I mean, you know, and there was no inkling mm. of anything like this on the horizon. Right. So it was, the decision was made on a whole nother level. Than us, right? So layoffs are always unpleasant. Google, uh, like a lot of tech companies, had done a lot of hiring uh, during the pandemic, and in my mind, uh, I thought a lot of this was just kind of retrenching after excessive hiring. And Wall Street Journal said something that Google had increased its uh, uh, head count by like forty-seven percent. I mean, so I was very surprised to see how many senior people were let go as well. What were you working on, Richard, uh, before before the end? 
So, uh, like most recently, I was working on some internet uh, edge operation troubleshooting for cloud customers. But probably more interestingly, right before that, uh, I was working for about 18 months on uh, scaling and deploying uh, the backend infrastructure for Starlink, uh, SpaceX Starlink, the space internet thing. Right? Oh, cool. Right. Now, that they eventually cool. figured out how to do what we were doing for them without us, so they moved off of Google's backend, but... Uh, but for but that was pretty cool to work on that, right? Nice. So uh, for fiscal year, this is from the Wall Street Journal, ending in September 2019. I'm sorry, beginning September 2019 to September 2022, that one-year period, uh, Amazon doubled employee count. This is because of pandemic, I think. Oh, Microsoft went up 53%. Alphabet up went 57%. That's a huge growth. Meta, 94%. So... And my initial reaction, as I said to this, was, well, yeah, the pandemic's over and there was a big boom and now there's some retrenching. Did they explain to you why you were cut uh, as opposed to somebody who had been hired in the last year? So that I was that is very unclear. I don't know what rubric they used to heuristic to determine who it was. And, and I got to admit, I, I had seen the same news that everyone else had been seeing about Amazon laying off people and Microsoft laying off people and and all these articles saying oh well Google is you know people are worried about layoffs at Google uh, but I, I I wasn't worried about it but apparently I should have been <laughs> so, well normally they'd go well, to your boss and do some uh, stack ranking or something as brutal as that sounds and say well who can you lose but your boss didn't even know about this right doesn't Google do a lot not via algorithm but I imagine and then my hunch is they tend to get rid of people who not are replicable. I'm not trying to say that you are rec replicable, but who have sure. who have roles that are replicated across the con uh, company, yeah, and they're, then they might be just yeah, or, yeah, and you might just be the more senior and paid the most, whereas someone uh, who's just yeah. come. On. I mean, the longer you've been in a job, unless you're like in charge of things, you're at a risk because you're expensive. Right, and they probably can find someone else that does what I do for less money, right? I know that happened to me. Is the stuff you were working on deprecated? Maybe that had Team. something to do with it, too? I mean, maybe they didn't want to pursue that line. And I know at Microsoft, all the HoloLens people are gone and the virtual reality people are gone. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, by the beginning of my career, I worked on, uh, like, building and deploying and developing all of the data center switching equipment that's in every data center in the world. Uh, so I worked on that for about eight years. And so, uh, but then I left that team. So lately when I did go to the Starlink thing, uh, that was more operations and not as much engineering. And then it's, it's possible that, you know, that I, and I had even been looking around for other opportunities to go back into engineering. Uh, so it's possible. I just wasn't a good fit for that uh, role right. and that they just something in that made them decide, well, we can do the op stuff with, you know, other people and not, we don't need him. I don't know. How hard was it to switch roles like that in, in Google? Richard? Uh, I was at about, I, I, I switched uh, different roles about six times. So, I mean, yeah. I worked on the platforms team for about eight years, but then I decided I, I wanted to live in Texas because uh, my wife, uh, she uh, said, my friends are in Texas. My mom's in Texas. My sisters are in Texas. And we're going I'm, to Texas. I'm going <laughs> back to barbecue. Well, because I was in Texas when I was recruited in 2007, 
and they forced me to go to California. So then, uh, you know, I, and so I did switch to Google fiber for a couple of years, uh, cause they said, Hey, do you want to live with your kids? Which is a strong pitch. Um, cause that's and, when uh, I met you is when you were with fiber, right? I was with fiber at that time. And then, and then I went and, uh, once uh, I, I decided to go and work in a team that was doing private LTE stuff and deployment of sensors to detect aircraft carriers, uh, <laughs> on the east and the west coast. Uh, so that was, uh, so that's a pretty fun thing. You're in Mountain View on a promo committee deciding who lives and who dies. And you run into one of your old buddies and he's like, Hey, do you want to help me detect aircraft barriers? And I'm like, well, can I live in Austin? And they're like, I don't care where you live. And then it's click, click, click. And you're on that team. So it's not that hard to switch teams. And that's one of the other reasons why I had no real concern that this sort of, because they've never done anything like this. No. Mm-hmm. no, This is the largest layoff in Google history. Uh, Richard, you, yeah. before we got on and, and, Leo likes to keep things live so that we can everybody can see what's going on back in the, back behind the scenes. You were telling me you, you were talking about the difference in culture at Google over the time you've been there. I'd be really interested to, to describe life at Google over the time that you've watched it. Oh yeah, well when I started, there were seven thousand employees. Jeez, you know, so it was uh, it was a few years, a couple years after the IPO, and and I think every resume was personally approved by Larry Page and. You know, that, you know, you would get into the company and it was just and it wasn't all, you know, jumping on trampolines. It was, you know, it was it was actual real work. And in 2010, there was an incredible meeting where Eric Schmidt stood up and said that because the company was doing so well financially, they wanted to share that largesse and that benefit with the employees. So he said everyone was going to get a 10 percent raise. Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't like you know, like we're going to do a spin in or like give these people bonuses, but just them, this was across the board. Right. And that, and, and so there, that was, and I was in the room when he said that. Uh, so that, and that was in Mountain View and, and it was just an amazing, and he even said he thought he'd never been able to say anything like that at any, when he was the CEO at Sun or any of the other places at Novell, I think. Uh, so that was an amazing opportunity for him. But now part of the reason was because there were only 27,000 employees at that time that that's why they were able to, now he couldn't say anything, you know, they're not going to say anything like that, you know, now. Uh, so it, then just contrasting that with what happened on Friday, right. It, you know, that's kind of like what all the other companies do. Yeah. 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 A friend of mine said that who, who used to work at Google, he left some years ago. He said, oh, people don't understand that Google is highly hierarchical and like the Marines. Would you agree with that? That there's there, the, the, the structure started coming in. And, and Schmidt always said our biggest challenge is going to be we get too big, which I think is part of the problem here. I, I think that is part of it. Like, so one of the senior vice presidents is a Swiss fellow named Urs Holzig. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Urs used to run the platforms team that I was on. And I actually, he was kind of, brutal but he he would have these meetings every six months where you had to justify your product's existence from a business case or he would kill it what's wrong with that well that i'm not saying that's bad i'm just saying well you know i mean you have a hearted aunt i'm just saying no no, look you're right right. we've said at least i've said a gazillion times on here google needs to be more focused and just being all add with this product and that product that's why stuff is dying off because there's no focus that sounds like he was focused urs is on the infrastructure team so this was on the infrastructure side right no i'm just saying in general in general just the approach of all right 
This right, isn't right. helping us. Let's right. trim the fat. And no, I, I'm just saying that you would kind of go in the micro kitchen of the guy that just, you know, spent two years of his life that he'll never get back. You know, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, so th- there were some casualties of this sort of yeah. thing. But uh, but yes, I do agree. I missed I missed that whenever they whenever he got promoted to a level where he wasn't involved in the day to day management anymore. And they backfill with a bunch of like academics who are fake it till you make it guys. Oh, and then uh, and then you basically get things that should have died but didn't die because they're like, oh, well, we have the money to do this. Let's do this. See? So, and, then, and then Ruth Porter. <laughs> You're not talking about Diane Green, are you? I, I, I'm not going to say anybody in particular that I might be talking about, whatever. Like, <laughs> hey, I missed Google Plus, Richard. Jeez. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I had 12,000 followers on Google Plus. Oh, uh, Google but, Plus. Uh, Bring yeah, it back. But, yes, I miss it. It was a nice platform, but. What uh, what was what's your sense of how they went about this? Do do you have any idea, or was it a black box? You know, I I'll be honest, I have no idea because obviously I did not expect this, yeah. you know, to to happen. Uh, I mean, like I have like about a thousand of these little tip notes that I write to myself about how to do things that were tied to Google Keep on my corporate account oh, that shoot. I'll never be able to access. Oh, no. oh. Right. So, I mean, you know, if I'd have known this was going to happen, I would have like, because that's, there's no company secrets in there. It's right. just me telling myself, oh, let me, now me tell two years from now me how you type in the thing to do the thing. You know, when is my mother-in-law's birthday? Oh, no. no that's good. Right. So, no, I, I understand that. I have a note oh. somewhere that says how to set up an SSH public-private key set logins. I can does, never that is kind of like a get-out-of- I can never remember, so I have it in a note, and then I just pull up that note. And uh, so I understand that. That's a... They gave you no time to uh, to do anything. I guess they don't want you writing nasty uh, farewell not emails. Well, I mean, you know, I think that Sundar even said that from the reason that they did it like this was because, obviously, Google is protecting a lot of very private information. Yeah. Of of, yeah. of billions of consumers, and they didn't want any, you know, whatever they think of you as an individual, they don't even want the risk of someone. Yeah, we do the we do the same. Do we do the. I mean, I hate to say it, but if we've had to fire people, we've done the same thing. You cut you cut their account access off. Pretty as, standard operating yeah, procedures as quickly, for most yeah. places. As quickly as you can. Uh, yeah, and you know, I mean. This has got to hurt. What it, you said you you have some severance time? Did they did they make you sign? Apparently, they didn't make you sign an agreement not to talk to the media. Oh, I, I well, I haven't seen that agreement yet. We're not <laughs> <in> media. <laughs> okay, good. So, okay, so good. Uh, yeah, so I think they are. So since I'm technically an employee still, I mean, I think there's like a thing they ask you like when they do this. What are they going to do? Severance? Fire you? <laughs> They could take right. away his. Co- could they take away your cobra or something? I mean, they might be able to do something. I mean, obviously, I don't want to be. And just as a legal disclaimer, I am not trying to give away any secret squirrel thing. Yeah. No. Uh, no. No. And, like and, and in fact, we're not trying to get those out of you at all. Uh, we're just trying to put a human face I, on something that is so inhuman <laughs> uh, and so easy to report on. But when you say twelve thousand people lost their jobs, it's uh, that's a lot of people going through a lot of hell. And uh, I think it's I really wanted to have you on so that people could understand what it what, So what's your plan now? What are you going to do? Well, I, I will say I've been incredibly humbled by the response of so many of my friends that when they found out uh, that they've reached out to me to offer me other opportunities Good. to do new things. 
That's awesome. So, so that does dull the sting whenever, you know, you're being reached out by other people to say, hey, you know, do what you do. Just do it for this other outfit. Right. But uh, and there are a couple of really interesting opportunities uh, there. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to go work for the Saudis, but, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. You're not gonna, on air. On the, other, on the other hand, uh, they got some money, and if they called and you know, what what is your anyway. so I mean, sounds like your skills uh, particularly in networking? Yes, yes. Uh, so I have worked on so, and one of the things there is really no substitute for experience, right? So essentially, I've seen many, many, many things fail. So that that <laughs> right. that that allow and. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like all the technology companies have what I, I just, you know, proverbially call the WTF meeting. Yeah. Where whenever you have 500 switches crash and uh, 70,000 servers go offline instantly and without warning, you, you, have, you have this meeting where the service owners that are negatively impacted by this event are, they come in and they look at you. And the way I like to describe it is like, it's like in this, the original Superman with the guys on the wall, you know, where they're yeah, all like guilty, yeah. guilty, <laughs> guilty. And then, and then, you know, it has to be unanimous Jarrell. And then he likes the stick and they're in the phantom zone. Uh, you know, anyway, uh, so it's like that, you know, in the meeting and then they say, dude, and then most Google services are, are actually dual homed. So that, you know, your Gmail is in two clusters and your calendar right. is in two clusters. So if a cluster dies, you can still access your email. So most users don't notice that right. even something bad happened. So you can have this postmortem and something horrible happened. But since nobody noticed, then you get to play the, hey, if a tree fell in the woods, do the other trees laugh at it? Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's you know, Google down isn't trending on Twitter. So this is a nothing burger, you know, that kind of thing. Right? But, yeah. If uh, Elon calls, would you? I think he might need some networking help. Would you? Would you consider going over there? Uh, well, since I did work on Starlink, which is one of his little babies, that's right. Uh, the only way you can sustain, by the way, a ten thousand satellite constellation in low Earth orbit, where they degrade and fall back into the atmosphere and they die within five years, is if you can dramatically reduce the cost of putting things in space, which they have done. Mm -hmm. Like it used to cost a million dollars a pound. To put something in space, and now it's ten. Wow. So ten dollars. Whatever you want to ten dollars. Right, dollars from from a right. million so whatever, to ten dollars. Wow, dang, that's right. crazy. So, what, so whatever you want to say about Elon and you know his crazy antics, uh, you can say that the Falcon Nine is a is a is a machine. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow, wow, that's that's an amazing multiple. Um, right. So. Uh, how much? How much severance did you say you got? Uh, well, I didn't say, but uh, they're they're going to pay me for the better part of a year. Oh, we uh, actually oh, have good. the uh, so oh, uh, yeah, we have uh, Sundar's uh, statement on that. Right. And so it, it basically they pay you sixteen weeks plus a couple of weeks for every year you worked at the company, and, and you've I worked, worked there, there so long. Me. Yeah. Oh, right. good. And oh, we yeah, should say, you know, uh, the, according to the uh, Wall Street Journal, layoffs reach as high as the vice president level. Uh, they completely laid off the entire Area 120 team, their Blue Sky R&D team. Oh, all? I thought it was just eviscerated. It was all. I think they laid everybody off. I'll have to, we'll have to, oh. I'll have to verify that. What does that say about their R&D? Well, Ugh. the people they didn't lay off were people who'd created a product that had then been incorporated into Alphabet. Yeah, but where's the next one? And the next but one? But where's the, the next, next one? one? Yeah. So, I mean, this, they're cutting, it's not cutting to the bone when you're cutting only 6%, but it's, 
cutting a lot of and I, this was my real surprise was cuz cuz the the statement from Sundar Pichai is you know we really grew and uh and uh but the economy has changed so we're going to we have to shrink a little bit and it implied that it was going to be the people that we, that grew um but it isn't it's uh, it's across the board at at a, a lot of different levels and I'm so sorry that it, uh, Richard, that you were one of the people uh, hit by that. Uh, it sounds like you're going to be okay. Well, the way I look at this is there are two billion people in the world that make a dollar a day, right? So th- this is a first world problem. Yeah, right. right. But it's still a personal thing. And when you, you do work, live in the first world, yeah. And when you and... work for a company for that many years, you know, I saw one person tweet after 20 years. When you're with a company for 20 years, or in your case, what was it, 17, 12, 15? 16. 16? 15 years. That's your, that's a, that's a, especially a young guy like you, that's like a big part of your life. A yep. huge chunk of your life. Uh, you're, you probably started there before your kids were born. So. Uh, uh, I did start there when they were two. Two. Okay. So they, they don't have any memories of me not exactly. working for Google. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, and I, I think that. I don't know. For me, it was always the case that a lot of who I, who I was, and how I value myself in the world was my work. So it hits hard, regardless of yeah. the you know the financial impact, or it's very philosophical view to say you know well, I'm doing better than those other two billion. But it's still I don't think uh, we should ignore how hard that must be to suddenly, without any warning, be told, yeah, you don't work here anymore. Yeah, that is that is very difficult. I, I, I will say, I mean, I am if I'm sad, it's mostly I'm sad for the fact I mourn the company that Google is no longer that company. So that is the thing that that I'm sad about. I mean, that, well, you know, characterize that, that. What 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 is what is the old Google yeah, compared to the new Google? That's what I was going to ask, because I picture Google as the, the, the folks running around with bicycles and, and, and lollipops and ice cream cones and just fun time. And why they digging into the code and so on and so forth? Has it become a little bit more, um, I don't know, structured and squared off, if you will? Well, and I, I, I kind of feel like to some degree, you know, the unicorns and magic rainbows was not going to last forever. I mean, okay. that, that every company goes through phases. Mm-hmm. So it was almost, I mean, and, you know, Google had expanded from, you know, the 7,000 when I was there to like almost 200,000 or whatever it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that whenever they cut 12,000 people, that's 6% of everybody. But that's still right. uh, a, a lot of actual real people that, that got impacted. Right. So and, and of course, the way they did it, even though I don't even know if there's an easy way to do this. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so. Having been let go suddenly from a company very publicly, being part of something like that is, I mean, it's probably better than just being fired randomly one day all on your own. But having everybody realize, like being able to say it very publicly actually allows a lot of cool opportunities to come your way where people never would have talked to you beforehand because they thought you were happily employed. So I really hope that that comes and happens for you because it is kind of cool to be like, Guys, I'm free. Anybody yeah. like me? Yeah. And then a right. bunch of people no. be like, "Oh, and then you, you can take it. from it." And or, you know, Stacy, because you were there, you've you were a giga on when it uh, dissolved, so you've kind of been through yes. this. Richard, have you seen any communities like what's been happening with the Twitter 
engineers where they leave and they, they've gone so the, somewhere I, online I, and created yeah, these think, communities? I think, yeah, I think there was a Discord or some other things that they were talking about, you know, where you can go and, I guess, you know, commiserate uh, about, well, yeah, this sucks, and yeah, it sucks, and uh, it, whatever, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I admit I wasn't really, I mean, I was in the core cadets at Texas A&M and it was always a suck it up and drive on kind of place where mm -hmm. you can cry, cry about spilled milk, but what's the point? So, yeah. uh, yeah. anyway, so that's kind of the way I'm approaching it is, uh, that, uh, this is actually, you know, like now I can write that book. Yeah. Oh, are yeah. you? Are you going to write a book? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I figure that, you know, some of these things like the WTF meeting, maybe not everybody knows that those things happen. Right. No, I you think know, that'd so, be very so, interesting. Yeah. So you, you, you screenplay kind of a little, you know, like you change the names and the incidents and then you kind of make it not, you know, like a based on true events, but not actual true. And then you can, you could even make a movie out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, cause these are companies that everyone interacts with every single day, but they never really see what happens behind the mm -hmm. curtain on the side of what, you know, how do you keep the wheels on the wagon? Right. Have I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet in your uh, your stages of grief, but but can you look back now on your sixteen years at Google and and kind of s summarize uh, what it meant to you and and if there was a lesson to be learned? Except don't so, keep everything in yeah. your Google Keep account. Yeah, well, other other than that, for sure, well, because because I, I never thought I was going to get cut off abruptly like this. Right. Yeah. So if I had, I would have done things differently, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but you know, the backup early and often in more than one place. And, you know, I, you know, it's the cloud. It's, it's, it's dual homed. It's all good. I'm never, but the, unless they cut me off. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people uh, think, well, Google, I will always have my Google Docs. It's a good lesson. <laughs> right. Yes. That, maybe that, not. There is a lesson to be learned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should not. have that other account. Yeah. Where you just make a dummy account and you just copy everything into that account. Yeah. So if this account ever gets blocked, you still have that one, right? Wow. That type of thing. But wow. yeah. Um Ask our very own Jason Howell. <laughs> Didn't he get Yeah, I was gonna out? say any any like even if you're a normal person, we're seeing people get chopped out of their Google accounts for well, there's Jason's thing, there's the um there's the whole anti pornography thing where People oh, yeah. talked about on the show with yeah. parents taking pictures of their kids. Um, yeah, anything so. can, a lot of things can happen, including, you know, a mistaken identity. Uh, any other lessons uh, learned? Any other thoughts you have about? Well, so I was at, I, I actually was asked to go speak at a funeral last week for a friend of mine's father who passed away unexpectedly. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he had worked at NASA you know, where he worked on Apollo 11 and he developed like the camera system for Apollo 11 and he worked there for several years, but then he decided he wanted to impact people's lives. So he left that after about three years and he went and became a high school physics teacher uh, for the, for the rest of his career with his wife. And she was also a teacher. But my, my takeaway from that was working at NASA and working on Apollo 11 was amazingly impressive. And it was just an amazing thing that he had done but it wasn't his life. Yeah. And, and so I kind of feel that way about my time at Google. It was a good run. Obviously I'm disappointed in the way it ended, but you know, it's uh, it's, it, it was an amazing thing that will always be part of my life, but it is not my life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a great attitude, Richard. I'm sorry that happened to you. Uh, I'm glad you could kind of be with us and, and, and no, people could hear sure. 
what it what it's like, you know, and what the experience is. And uh, and it's probably good good warning to all of us not to tie our uh, our personalities up with our job. That they they probably should be two different, at least not our self worth anyway. Uh, Richard, good good luck to you. Indeed, we appreciate it. Thank you. Have yes, a great I will, have uh, a great day. Stay in touch. Let us know what happens. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah, I will let you know. Whatever I land, wherever I land, I'll yeah. I'll let you know. Appreciate it. I I I'll give you a ring later on, brother. Okay, Richard. Hey, take it easy, Ant. See ya. Ant and uh, Richard worked together at uh, GinaSmithsAnewDomain.com, where Richard was a science editor, and uh, that's how you know him. And uh, actually, now I realize that's how I know. Him. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time. <laughs> uh, I remember reading his stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a real shock for a lot of people. Uh, I think at uh, Google there was a, uh, according to Business Insider, a contentious town hall meeting on Monday uh, with hmm. Sundar Pichai and uh, remaining staff. In uh, Google's chief people officer Fiona Ciccioni was there uh, as well. They uh, they were at great pains to say that it was not a random layoff, that they, that the layoff was based on factors like the company's highest priorities, the employees' skill set, experience, productivity, performance history. Um, not every leader was told about this. Uh, Ciccioni said, "In an ideal world, we would have given managers like Richard's boss a heads up." But we have over 30,000 managers at Google. We just didn't have time to do it, Do that. Um, people were a little upset, apparently, according to Business Insider. Uh, one employee asked about the communication strategy, saying many employees didn't know who else was impacted. Google did not share a list of people based on a principle of respect for people's privacy. This is Rick Osterloh speaking, who's uh, head of... Uh, Vice President of uh, Devices and Services. He said the company wanted to let people share their information on their own terms, which is why I, th- I guess I saw so many Twitter posts from people saying, uh, it's a shock. I'm not at uh, Google anymore after all this. Leo, time. one thing I heard is that is that not everybody in the company knows because in Europe, you've got to go through a whole right. different process. Right. A place like France and Germany, they're, 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 people are still waiting for access to fall. Yeah, this is what uh, Elon Musk learned <laughs> to, his, <laughs> to his own uh, chagrin that it's a lot harder to fire people in Europe than it is in the U.S. Um, so I mentioned, uh, Jeff, and I'll, I'll, uh, here's the uh, follow-up. Google uh, lays off most employees in the Area 120 incubator. Oh, TechCrunch says there are less than 100 employees left. Um, but my sense is those 100 people are people who are who produced a product that Google is now uh, selling. So um, this is the, the TechCrunch headline, Google's in-house incubator severely impacted by Alphabet layoffs. You People may not know what Area 120 is. It was kind of their R&D, right? They did a lot of interest, so a lot of the interesting weird things that we talked about. It's about labs of Google. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A spokesperson told TechCrunch via email, the majority of the Area 120 team has been winded down (laughs) or maybe they mean winded down i don't know only three projects from the division will graduate later this year into google product areas uh the spokesperson would not say what projects were being shuttered and which were being graduated guess you could figure out by going and looking and seeing who was left but that would be yeah a lot of people on linkedin uh you know that's another place you could go is search for the x for the they call them x oogler's 
They got Zooglers. nooglers when you start. Zooglers. Zooglers. Former ooglers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's really hard. And uh, our sympathy to all of the, it's now more than 100,000 people who have been laid off in tech uh, over the last two weeks. Mr. Laporte, when, was it like early 2021 when there was news of big tech going on a, a hiring spree or right. what have you? Or was it early 20? Okay. Because of the pandemic. And then all yeah. of a sudden, right. Yeah. And remember that these companies collectively made more than a trillion dollars in increased value uh, during the pandemic. Pandemic was very good to right. some of these companies. Right. And they were very necessary to us. And good and to they, us. That's right. Scaled quickly. That's why. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. 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 Among uh, people getting laid off at Google, uh, 27 in-house massage therapists. Yes. Uh, 24 That's terrible. Off. I mean, because that's not a job you can, like... Oh, I think you could find another job. You start your own practice or whatever. We have, I think Petaluma alone has thousands of massage therapists. Okay, but in in a rough economy (laughs) right now, people are going to skimp on that. I mean, it's probably rare to be an in-house massage therapist, but it's probably a pretty cush job. I bet it is. I wonder what other freebies they're going to get rid of. I I was thinking the other day, they can't get rid of of, of meals because it's just too ingrained. Boy, that's the first thing Elon did, though. Those free gourmet lunches at Twitter. Gone. And all those coffee machines sold. (laughs) Bologna sandwiches for everyone. Yeah, and bring Mm. your own toilet paper. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Anyway. uh, Want to hear some breaking news? Yeah, breaking news. Now, this in from the professor of journalism. Facebook and Instagram are reinstating Donald Trump. Well, we knew that was going to happen. Okay. Yeah. We knew that was going to happen. So he's been reinstated now on all the main social platforms. The issue for Mr. Trump is he has an agreement with his own company, Truth Social, not to post on these other places. He's apparently trying to get them to let him out of that. Well, part of this, John Battelle said on on Mastodon, he said this is really about the ads. Trump needs to raise money and Facebook wants the ad money. And that's the essence of it. So his ads can now reappear on these platforms, which couldn't before. Well, and also, if you're running for president, uh, much better to be on a platform like Facebook or Twitter than Truth Social, which, I mean, frankly, anybody who's on Truth Social is already voting for you. So, um, Yeah, you're cursing to the choir. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, I mean, I think they're actually far worse people that Elon has brought back to Twitter. Well, Um, one came back and then got... Was gone a, a day later. Well, Kanye uh, for one. <laughs> well, well, that's one. But also, Nick, Nick Fuentes came back. This oh, week is Nick Fuentes one, already one banned? He didn't take long. Already banned again. Wow, yeah. uh, amazing story. I tell you, he was the Holocaust denier, the anti-Semite, and worse. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, what did he get banned for? He just was up to it again. I don't know. The story is down there. What do you think? Uh, what do you think if you invite somebody like that back? You invited well, Nazi happen? back. What do you think is going to happen? Twitter suspended the account of white supremacist and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. Listen, 24 hours after his reinstatement on the platform, according to The Hill, he posted a picture of his suspended account on Telegram on Wednesday morning with the caption, well, it was fun while it lasted. The 24-year-old leader of the American First Movement had his account reinstated Tuesday. (laughs) In one of his first tweets, he posted a short video of Yee... Oh God! Um, doesn't let me see if it says if the hill. This is from the hill. 
Let's see if they say why he was uh, booted. Daily Beast says, uh, shared a, a Yee 2024 logo morphed into the message DuffCon 3. On which Jewish is a reference people. to the yeah. disgraced rapper's tweets. Oh, yeah. About, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I actually have mixed feelings. I mean, honestly, uh, we know how horrible Nick Fuentes is because he's doing it in public, right? So it, to some degree, we talked about this uh, on, on Twitter on Sunday. And I, I know, I think, Jeff, you probably also had this opinion, as I did, that, well, this will be good because we'll lift the rocks and the sunlight disinfects and we'll know, you know who these people are. We just didn't expect that they'd find so many followers. Yeah. It's, it's the old northern white liberal versus southern bigot argument that at least you know, this is the argument when I was growing up, at least you know what George Wallace is and you don't know the northerners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true there's a lot of covert wow. racism in uh in northern towns like boston uh, uh you know boston is not covert racism <laughs> <laughs> most overt racism yeah. okay never mind stories i've been told Ooh. uh never mind amazon is closing amazon smile uh this was the yeah. Go ahead. I wish I wish they had just said, look, tough times. Let's we're closing this down. We've given a lot to a bunch of places. It's time to stop. This. They made up. I mean, all that's not of, a terrible message. They made up some mealy thing like, well, there's <laughs> they were like yeah. too, too many people and too little money. And, and well, they were like, these charities couldn't we couldn't raise enough to make an impact on everyone. And I'm like, you know what? Because like. I had Amazon Smile for like our my kids' school, yeah. you know, and yeah. they got like three thousand dollars a year, it's which I'm fine. sure Amazon was like, that's nothing. But for the school, it's you huge. know, three thousand dollars a year is great. Yes, exactly. How do you define um uh, like like no. what's it, what's yeah. impactful? Yeah, a you spokesperson. Know. Amazon Smile was launched in 2013. Uh, 0.5% of the purchase price would go to the charitable organization of your choice. I choose Doctors Without Borders. Uh, I have to point out, though, the real reason why Smile exists. And now I can't guarantee this is the real reason, but there was a thread on Reddit by a former Smile executive, which was then later confirmed by another Smile executive who chimed in, that really the reason Smile was created was because a great many people were searching for products on Google, seeing the Amazon ad, clicking that and buying it, which meant Amazon had to pay affiliate fees to Google of several oh, percentage points. Right. So mm. Amazon's profit, there's a whole group of people that these executives are part of whose job is to maximize profit. They said, well, this is a problem because we're paying Google millions and millions of dollars every year. Because people go to Google first. How do we get people to go to Amazon first? They came up with this. Amazon Smile only works, as you know, Stacey, if you go to smile.amazon.com. In other words, if you begin your search on Amazon, oh, the money goes to your that's charity. that's how it works. So oh, by giving a far 0.5%, a far smaller amount of money to these charities, Amazon saved a much larger amount that it was giving to Google. So this is the reason Amazon Smile existed. Hey, that's fine. It worked. You know, everybody wins. The charities win. Amazon saves a lot of money. Actually, Google doesn't win, but, you know, Google's got other other ways to make money. Um, I don't know, though. I wish these executives had explained 
why they were killing it because presumably yeah. maybe people aren't doing you know what maybe they're not doing that search through google although i notice i do yeah all they've the time. solved the problem maybe they solved yeah it. but don't you still do, i certainly do when i'm looking for a product i google it and then and then it goes yeah. to amazon how old is smile how old was Thir it? 2013, 9, 10 years old now. So, yeah, I think you got a point, Stacey. At that point, it was different. Now, since, people are in the habit of going to Amazon. So, Mr. Laporte, if it's something that you assume is already going to be on Amazon, you don't just search inside of Amazon? Because that's what I do. I do. There's some I do. things I, I don't expect to be on Amazon. So, then, yeah, I'll go to Google. But other you know, than that, I, remember, I just go straight to the Amazon. I remember site. going to Google, the Google uh, lobby uh, many years ago. And they used mm -hmm. to, in the old days, they'd have a, an, a board in the lobby that said what the top Google searches was. Or remember, I don't know. You remember? Did you ever see that, Jeff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're kind of more random going by. It wasn't well, oh, no. Top. When I went there, it was like the top 10 searches on Google. And oh, number one was Yahoo. And I'm what? thinking, what? Yeah. And, then I, and then I realized how normal people use their yeah. browser. Yeah. They don't type yeah. yahoo.com. They right. type Yahoo. And then Google... Initially, Google would give you the result Yahoo, but after a while, Google realized, oh, yeah, you mean Yahoo.com, and we just right, pushed you to Yahoo.com. <laughs> I think still plenty of people, if I'm looking for, I want to get a 300-count bottle of Advil, type it into their Google. And then, uh, oh, you know, it's interesting. I'm getting Walmart first. Maybe, Walmart that's, first. maybe that's the problem. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that's Google the problem. Got smart. Yeah, and then there's Amazon after that. Uh, Amazon does beat Walmart's price by uh, 20 cents. No, 25 but cents. But we all know you're not normal, sir. So that's Isn't that how people do it? Isn't that how no, people do it? I'm asking you. Dude, asking you, just, you. you just Googled it into a Neva search engine. So. <laughs> well, no, pay no attention <laughs> to the fact that not. I don't use Google, but uh, it's the same effect, right? Actually, that's a good uh -huh. question. Let me see if I go to Google what, what I get. <laughs> 300 count Advil. That's a really interesting question. You think I'm going to get. Oh, I still get Walmart and Amazon. Still Walmart's first. All right. Yeah. Um, but again, do you get different when, when pricing? You're shopping, when Same you're shopping prices for Amazon stuff. Okay. You don't go straight to Amazon and search? You. I, I know no, you're not normal. People. I go to Google. You I know? think normal people go to Google for everything because they're not really going to Google. They're typing it in their browser. Or they browser. just type it into their browser. Yeah. yeah. That, that I get. And on most yeah, browsers, you. that's why Google pays $11 billion last year to, to Apple because on most browsers, including Apple's browsers, typing in the browser bar is the same thing as Googling it. And Google yeah. makes so much money on that that they pay Apple $11 billion last year. Yeah, whoever, the, the traffic to Google.com homepage, go there for that search box, has to be small now. Yeah, nobody goes to Google.com. Uh, but I watch I do my wife. Show is I'm researching the show every week. Yeah. I have, because Google, if I go to Google News and type in Google, it's not so good. I go in to the search bar and I type Google, and Google thinks I'm stupid, like you can't find Google on Google. But when I do that and then hit the news button, it's far better version of news. Interesting. So you go to search bar and you type in Google. <laughs> in Google. Wow. See, yeah, not button, everybody's knows. like you smart. No, they're they're weird. I'm weird. Heck, I'm not that smart. But <laughs> they're just habit they form habits and they stay with them. Yeah. I mean that's <sighs> My father, you know, he, he hasn't been on, he's 97 years old next Monday, so he hasn't been on his computer for a few years, 
but he never got past understanding what a web browser was. It was AOL. Right, right. Reminds me, I got to cancel that. Jeez, I still haven't done that. You have an AOL account still? <laughs> he People, that's, that's not unusual. I've been hearing this. They've, they're still getting Eugene a, Mastodon at one nice point was adding. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you an uh, interview with the founder of Mastodon. You want to stay to the end? I'm going to stay to the end. Uh, he. This is uh, on uh, Nightcap, which is on CNN Business. And the interviewer calls him Eugene, so I guess he's approved that use of his name, which you call Yoigan. And I avoid the whole thing by calling him Gargron, which is his Gargron. Mastodon handle. But here is here is a quick. By the way, that's like, he just turned thirty years old. He's a young guy. Wow. By the way, Mastodon now has made enough money through their Patreon that they're hiring uh, actual developers. Yeah, isn't that great? So here is uh, Mastodon. At one point, was adding one hundred and thirty thousand. Should I just skip to the end here because I don't want CNN yeah, to yeah, take me down? To you, yeah. Has he been doing a lot of interviews? I've never seen him before. No, no he, he has not. not. I've never, I've seen, never him seen him like this. You're the only full time employee, and how many active users are there? Um, Ten million. One point six million. At the oh no, more. So than you're, active. you know, as you said, you're the one full time employee right now, and as of now, you're the big competitor to a company run by one of the world's richest people. Do you oh, ever no, think you'd find yourself in that situation? No. It's kind of funny. Uh, I make very little compared to that man. <laughs> if you had a message to Elon Musk, what would it be? Get off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Get Ding. off the internet, says Jürgen, the creator of Mastodon. Just get off our internet, Elon. Kill well, your account, Mr. Musk. <laughs> Um, Elon may really we we're not going to talk a lot about it. Elon, there's not that much news to report. We did mention. Did we talk last week about the killing of the third party? Yes, yes, yeah. we did. Third mm -hmm. party clients. That's official now. Twitter made it official at first by saying uh, you broke our rules. Uh, to which Twitterific and Tapbot said, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about? We've been doing this for 15 years." And then they said, uh, and they changed the rules so that. There are no third parties anymore. I understand that. You know, he wants his advertising money. But I do wonder what the end game is now. Uh, Twitter's being sued by everybody. This, the landlord in San Francisco, the king of England, is, <laughs> is, is well, the, not not the king personally, but the, the crown properties are suing properties. Elon for uh, the rent in London. Uh, the crown estate, they call it. <clears throat> He's not paying his rent anymore. Millions and millions of dollars. King versus emperor, yeah. So, uh, you know, you do that and you get kicked out after a while. What's the what's the end game? Is Elon trying to go bankrupt? That's I've Does seen that increasingly. In this seems to be to manage that stuff. Well, they know they fired the entire accounting department. So one theory is that nobody knows those bills exist. <laughs> Right. Where's so, that checkbook? Why, would he, why are we expecting him to pay rent? I, he doesn't know anything. By about now, it. I think Twitter knows that it owes rent. By now, it's a headline everywhere. <laughs> King so Charles sues Twitter. Advertising was down. They were admitting it was down forty percent. Forty percent. It was down seventy percent. Yeah. Uh, so he's I, talking about having an ad-free version charging, but if there's no ads anyway, you know why, right. why put that on? Uh, he owes three hundred million, I think, uh, in, in at the end of the month, imminently. At the end of the month, but he's got he's got a five hundred million dollar credit line. He'll make that payment. But the way I was thinking about it is the is the creditors the the who will get the company if it goes bankrupt will have bought it for thirteen billion. 
which is not a bad price for Twitter. Probably the right price for Twitter. See, how much you say? Thirteen billion. Thirteen billion is what they loaned. They lent to. Okay. Um, there Elon. is still a consequence. So if he goes bankrupt, uh, most of that uh, value is the other. You know, whatever that is. Well, the equity is gone. Yeah, the thirty. But the, but the thirty but the, the remaining thirty-one lenders, billion is is Elon's money or borrowed against Tesla. That's all stock. gone. But does the, that but the not lenders hurt will Tesla? Have first. Does that not just kill Tesla? I. He's trying to now, the new report is he's trying to sell $3 billion in, in Twitter stock. <laughs> you get a bridge, Well, even too. if he got that, but even if he got that, that's a Doesn't, fraction. Yeah. So the latest that's thing just trying is to reduce the, his intent, the, the he, he just wants out, right? He's always wanted out. He didn't want to buy it in the first place. Uh, so his the latest but you could, theory is he just wants to go bankrupt and just kind of get out of it. But there's going to be a cost, I would think. You know, yeah, I, I don't understand right. high finance. This guy's operating, at, you know, anybody that rich is operating at a completely different level than you or I. So I don't get it. I don't know. But uh, I'm just wondering if anybody has any ideas of what's going on. Stacey, what's your theory? Oh, Lord. I don't, head? I don't. I don't want to go into that person's head. Um, <laughs> intentional bankruptcy, sure. I mean... I really don't know. I don't pay attention. Yeah. I'm sorry. But you're still on Twitter. Inertia is a very powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, has your Twitter feed degraded in any way? I don't go to it. Like I'm only on Twitter. Like I go to Twitter once a day just to, it's kind of like how I treat LinkedIn. It's no longer like, right. and I, I haven't gotten on Mastodon because I've actually enjoyed not Having okay, y'all. Here's Stacy's confession for the January month. I I uninstalled TikTok. I go to Twitter once a day. Yeah, I haven't gotten on Mastodon. Yeah, I ha I'm not a Facebooker person. I think and this is healthy. I'm a lot happier. Yeah, antisocial. I've been saying this for a while. <laughs> I'm uh, the. I do go to Reddit still. I mean, part of my job is to follow the news. So. I, right. To keep up on the news, I'll I'll check Twitter probably like you a daily check. I check Reddit a couple of times a day, but I also check places like Hacker News. Uh, I check <laughs> Pinboard for the most popular bookmarked things. I mean, I'm looking for news besides tech meme. I'm looking for other sources of news. So right. I, but that's my job. I don't really participate. You know, even on Mastodon, I don't toot very often. David Karp wrote a good Same. piece today yeah. that he said that uh, it's a ghost town to him as he looked at the at the um, uh, engagement he gets versus versus on, his on news. Twitter. Yeah, and I'm curious with you because mm -hmm. you've been the one who's defended Musk's intelligence. You know, there's got to be something smarter here. What do you mm -hmm. think? Um, I still think if if the bills do, Dadgum, he needs to pay his bills. That's I think that's his, been his biggest problem is he's been able to get away with stuff in general, um, even all the way up to the, what is it, the SEC? Um, with all of the, the tweets that he did. Yeah, back, he's on trial on, right uh, now for the for the uh, acquisition tweet that funding was secured for uh, taking right. Tesla private. He's on trial for that right now. It's not looking good for him on that either, I don't think. It's well, a, I'll it's believe at least it when embarrassing. I see it. I'll believe it when I see it because it doesn't seem like um, he's paid any type of price or penalty for any of his actions like that that caused uh, some tumultuous stuff. 
But again, from an operational standpoint, if he feels like he can get some other folks in there to run that company and make it more profitable, more power to him. Uh, that's just what CEOs do. They put people in place and take credit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his uh, MO, isn't it? So he's done all, all along it. Uh, SpaceX and Tesla. Uh, I don't know. And I'm still in broadcast mode with my Twitter use. I don't necessarily check Twitter anymore either. It's literally stuff just being broadcasted out. Uh, If I do check it, I'm usually looking for something along the lines with my my son or whatever. That's that's about it now because I don't want to go in there and just sort of scroll through and just see what the suggestions are because I've learned in the last couple of weeks that it's just a bunch of mess that's depressing and I don't even bother anymore. As a matter of fact, I had to tell a couple of folks, I'm sorry. Um, y'all got my phone number or I'll check in here and there, but just don't expect a lot from me on Twitter from a, um, from responding, you know, he seems to have gone off his head lately in the last 12 hours. He has Hello. changed his name to Mr. Tweet and then tweeted. <laughs> I can't, tw- I can't change it back. Hey, he's not supposed to be able to do that because he has a blue check beside his name. <laughs> Mr. Tweet. Well, he can do anything he wants. And then he tweeted the B emoji, all you can be emoji, be all you can be. So banal. And then he tweeted a poem, half a B philosophically must ipso facto half not be. This is a, either somebody smoking a lot of weed, tripping balls or has lost his mind this is my company and i could do what i want today (laughs) yeah he's just i mean he's he's trolling everyone he's having fun it's like if a 10 year old boy got there you know i agree the world yeah and you know what awesome 44 billion dollars worth of fun he can afford it you know this is the thing people say oh my god he spent so much money he still has 132 billion dollars he could he could not spend it he can't spend the interest. He's, he, if there's any type of crimes he's done, I would hope that he would have to pay the price, if you will. He could pay all the prices he wants. He's for whatever those crimes are, just wants. like any other regular person would do. The problem is he seems to just keep living life and doing whatever the hell he wants to do because he's got that, I hate saying it this way, FU money. He's got know? the jack, man. And the FU money is saying FU to him right now, well, just like mine is. But been. again, big deal. You know, none of this will have any yeah. personal consequence. At the end of the day, he keeps $2 billion after it's all over. What it's a lark that was. And I can live fine. I can on any floor I want. Give me $2 million, I'll be happy. With him being, let, let me be clear. I don't, I don't have a problem with him being rich and a billionaire. I have a problem with someone being rich and a billionaire and allowing them to not have to deal with consequences of their actions. That's, that's all. Except that he, I mean, uh, I think he's in a, he knows he doesn't have to. So that's why he can do whatever he wants. There's a certain freedom. Uh-huh. That. He's not hurting anybody, is he? He may be hurting some folks financially when it comes to dealing with shareholders yeah, but they knew, and things yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, screw them. They, they thought they were going to get rich off him. You know, they're the suckers, right? But that doesn't mean, well, <laughs> okay, yeah, they, they, they placed the bet. They You're placed right. the bet. He would turn out to be bet. a nag, not a not secretariat. <laughs> Life goes on. Uh, it's you been should. good. It's been good and bad for those third-party uh, Twitter clients. TapBots, which made a very popular client called TweetBot, fortunately kind of saw the writing on the wall, and they've been working over the last few months on a Mastodon client called Ivory, 
Uh, they pushed it out this week into public. It's still, they say, early edition, but it's available now. Uh, they uh, do offer a free version, but most people will subscribe. I, I ended up subscribing to support them for 25 bucks a year. Uh, it's a very nice app, and it's interesting. We're seeing a spike on Mastodon since it came out, like the huh. biggest spike in a long time. Uh, a lot of How people like were waiting for tap bots to, to put out ivory wow. and are now joining Mastodon. So many people, oh. people like our friend Christina Warren, saying, now I can use Mastodon full-time. It's only iOS, though. Uh, it's yeah, only iOS. They, well, no, they'll do it. You know, uh, they'll do. Um, uh, I'm well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It. I think they'll. I think. I don't know if, if they will. Maybe not. Maybe there won't be. The thing is, there's millions of Mastodon. Not millions, but there's dozens of Mastodon. What do you like clients. about Leo? Uh, you know, slick and smooth. Or? Yeah, it's nice. It's very slick. Uh, it's missing a few features, but it has a lot of nice features. There are other good apps too out there, like Ice Cubes just came out. On iOS, it's very good. Uh, mostly, I, I use, think it's familiarity for people like Christina, who used Tapbots for Twitter, used Tweetbot, and uh, Ivory is uh, Tweetbot basically for Mastodon. And they go, "Oh, I I'm I'm home. Yeah. Gotcha. It's fine. That makes I'm sense. Home. Yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. Again, inertia. Where we change is hard. Yeah. And spending brain cells. I mean, it takes brain cells to change anything. And spending brain cells on something like figuring out Mastodon. It can be when, you know, if it's not a crucial part of your job, it, I can see why you would wait. The Financial Times, which to great fanfare launched a Mastodon instance. I has, patted him on the back and I said, how forward thinking of you? How smart of you? They shut You're it down already? Yes. You're brilliant, Financial Times. We tried to run a social media site and it was awful. Oh, here it goes. <laughs> here it goes. It was awful. Everybody going to start. Taking a crap on activity. But what's pub. fascinating about this? Uh, no, actually, Ant, what's fascinating about this? They're not complaining about Mastodon or Activity Pub at all. Mm -hmm. What they're complaining about is regulation and intermediary liability. Compliance, uh. security, and reputational risks are substantial and ever-growing in unpredictable ways. I, I kind of understand this. I, 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 was, I'm a, I was a little surprised a when post. big brands started their own Mastodon. I don't know if there's an advantage to doing that. I'm as big as you could be and still get away with murder on Mastodon. You know, I don't think it's... Shh, don't tell them. <laughs> uh, those, though largely hypothetical, these risks were judged serious enough to exercise management at the highest levels. Those <laughs> people... Lawyers. At the highest levels. I can I hear this in a poncy British accent. Yes, yes. Those people have better things to do than clean up our mess. The legal side is all again, all that again times a thousand, thanks to uh, some pretty draconian uk uh laws um which really are terrible um and i understand i probably maybe if i were in the uk i wouldn't uh, be uh, running it, it well, the guardian when the guardian started uh comment is free which was which was their very uh open and pioneering effort to have comment their lawyers were scared to death yeah. because of the libel laws of the uk and so but on this and, is, and, and this alan rusperger took a brave move to do it this is a really good example of why Section 230 in the U.S. is so valuable for those yes! of us who want to run these things. The reason yes. the FT doesn't want to do this and the Guardian Preach. doesn't want to do this is because they don't have Section 230. So right. while they perhaps mm -hmm. could defend themselves in court, they still would have to go to court. Uh, I have to I have to tell you, if there were if there were no Section 230 protection, and we're going to get to that, there may not be in in months to come. 
uh, then I wouldn't be running a Mastodon or a forums, our, our Twitter would you would literally, Leo, would you literally um, shut it down? I think I'd have to. Our IRC? I think I'd have to because without Section 230, if something somebody poses posts something defamatory on Mastodon, uh, I could get sued for it. But more importantly, if I pull down something defamatory on Mastodon, you've said this again and again, Jeff. Yep. Section 230 protects our right to moderate as well. Yes. If I moderate, yes. I could get sued by the person who got pulled down. I routinely suspend accounts. I suspend two or three accounts every week on Mastodon. Uh, some bad. of them. Yeah, nice. Now. That's that's nice. Stay active. No, well, that's that's the job of a moderator. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I love it that I'm Mastodon. And I have, we have very clear rules. And it's uh, some of the mo the majority of accounts are not on our server, so I just simply suspend our access to it. But occasionally right. they are. There was some guy recently on our server who was it was interesting. I mean, I shared his political beliefs, but he's very anti-religious, and he was mm -hmm. posting, uh, I think, very inflammatory things. I happen to agree with weirdly, but very inflammatory <laughs> things. And I thought this is inflammatory. This is not something I yeah. want on our server. Not your card party. Not what you want in your community. So that I you're suspended him. But I he could, that. without without Section two thirty, he could easily come back and sue us, and then I would have to defend it. Maybe I'd win, but it would cost me something, and and, and it would be it would, a burdensome. And if there were many of these, it would be too much. So maybe this I would. What Google argued last week in their in their brief to the Supreme Court. Yeah. So we're waiting to see what the outcome of of this. I mean, I've changed my tune a little bit. Uh, this is the case uh, the Supreme Court is hearing called Gonzalez versus Google, a uh, family of a young woman who was shot in 2015 during an ISIS attack on a Paris club are suing Google saying their algorithms promoted terrorist ISIS terrorist videos and, and, and so they should be held liable to it. Of course, they're protected right now by Section 230. Last week, I tried to contend that an algorithm, especially an algorithm designed to make more profit, maybe should be something they'd be responsible for. But I've been convinced otherwise over the over the week, partly by you, Jeff, but also just in general. Yeah, because it's impossible to say what an, what the intent of an algorithm exactly. is. And exactly. an algorithm is an editorial function. Editorial functions are protected, right, Jeff? Uh, if, well, yes, but it, it's not. It's it's it, I'm always cautious about trying to define it as media and editorial, but basically, the short answer, yes. But Mr. Laporte, you're not naive to think that that algorithm isn't in place because they're oh, let's figure out how we can blow more money. It's more like no, they're there to make let's money. Put this in place so we can make money, and that bothers Leo me. could have an algorithm recommending the best stuff on Twitter that doesn't have money behind it that makes all of his users just happy. Well, and and this was one of the uh, there was an amicus brief. From anonymous redditors, the the Supreme Court actually said, uh, in this case, an anonymous uh, comment can be taken because these Reddit moderators want to preserve their anonymity for good reason, and the court agreed, which I thought was quite open minded really of it. Uh, they basically said we use algorithms to moderate, and we need those algorithms to moderate effectively. And I think that that was that that was persuasive to me. That that uh, just because something's an algorithm, in my right. heart, that wasn't, that wasn't and to get ad money, that right. was to try to make a better experience. In my heart, I I feel like Google has some moral culpability because their algorithm, which is designed to monetize, 
promotes and radicalize seems to radicalize people or seems to make their videos more extreme because that's more engaging. And in my heart, I think right. they have a moral issue there, but I think they're protected and they as they should be because they're so it's so hard to define what's a bad algorithm versus a good algorithm or what's a useful algorithm versus a profit focused algorithm that we that that's a foolish task. Courts shouldn't be expected to have to decide that or a jury. It's impossible. So to protect Section 230, I think we have to protect algorithms. It is very important. Yeah, yeah. We all agree that Section, I think, that Section 230 be protected. Stacey, Stacey if 230 went away, how would it affect your business? Um, well, we don't get that many comments. We don't have, it wouldn't affect it very much because we don't, I mean, I could always just shut down or moderate mm. the comments we get on our website because we're mostly a newsletter and podcast. It's mostly not user community. Although yeah. I would miss the comments because we have some lovely commenters. Right. Yeah. So That's you just smart. turn them off. Um, yeah, a but, big part I mean, it would make me sad. Yeah. A big <laughs> yeah. part of what, you know, so I, from day one uh, as a podcaster, even before that as a just pure broadcaster, I always thought that the real job was to build community, not to build audience yeah. numbers, but to build a community. You have a community around what you do. We have a community around what we do. And I thought that to facilitate it, uh, having a Mastodon, having a, uh, uh, forums, yeah. having a chat room, having all of that was oh. a service that not only supported the community, but helped build the community. And so it was very valuable to us. But if, if it's a risky thing, uh, I don't think Lisa will let me do it. Maybe we'd wait till we got the first time we got sued and then we'd, then we'd take it all down. I don't know. But, th but then the community strategy you have now is a financial strategy. And that would hurt you. Uh, well, that's an interesting point. Because, yes, we have the one thing that makes money is Club Twit. That's yeah. de that's designed to uh, support us. And as part of Club Twit, we have a discourse. I guess we could turn the discourse off and still offer ad-free versions of the shows and the Twit Plus feed and all that stuff. The discourse is what we would get in trouble for because of the comments uh, there. I feel a little safe. I mean, I always have felt safer in the Discord because if you have to pay seven bucks to be in there, you're not going to be a jerk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's so right. far held true, by the way. Um, right. There will be jerks who are willing about, to blow seven bucks. But Leo, the, the, the Reddit thing you raise is that, you know, Scooter X is. He's liable. liable. Yeah. He, he works away. there Sorry, for free. Sorry, Scooter X. He, he, all right. of our, it's not just Scooter X. We have yeah, I know, at man, least 10 mods in there. Uh, and those mods also would be liable. Thank Although, you if you're going to sue, you don't go after impecunious mods. You go after the deep pocket. How do you know owners. Scooter X isn't, isn't really rich? <laughs> How do you I know he's say, fortune? He does, that's X. why he has the time to do this. Because, you know... Uh, he's using I've, his I've billions for good, unlike Elon Musk. He's exactly. like, you know what I'll do? I'll give back to the tech community that has given me so much. <laughs> I, I, I just I imagine him saying... How dare you call me impecunious? <laughs> I say good day, sir. I say good I day. Met, this job. Have you met Scooter X face to face? Oh yeah, many times. I love okay. it. Okay, all right. Um, we. Does I love he wear all a top mods. hat and a monocle? Yes, he does. He's a <laughs> Cheshire cat and a monocle away from being an evil um, genius. Evil genius. Uh, he. Uh, uh, I've met many of our mods. They, uh, they uh, from time to time, will God stop by and sit in God my lap and, and uh, ask for presents. Oh, no, that, see, now that is just defamation right there. Except I have pictures of them sitting in my lap, so I'm not <laughs> making it up. 
no, they're re- you know I am I am ever so grateful to our mods, and oh. you know there are people who just kind of step up and do it. For instance, in our uh, forums, our discourse uh, forums, uh, Paul Holder has just kind of taken over under his wing, and I'm mm-hmm. very grateful, Paul, to you for doing that. And you know he he keeps the thing uh, nice and clean and running. I never even asked him to do it. He just does it, which is wonderful. So uh, there are people, I think what happens is people love these things and they want to keep them going and keep them gardened. Yeah, it's part of their, it's their community. That's the key thing is that, is that you don't it's not mine. Like you own it's the community. It's theirs. Right. Yeah. Right. In fact, I, uh, I keep you an arm's length from the IRC. <laughs> I say, uh, <laughs> that's not us. That's not us. In fact, that might be <laughs> what we end up doing. We would cut them free maybe. And uh, and see if if Section two thirty were to go away, see like just say, well, you know, we're it's not us; it's just somebody, some fans run a place. So you sue them. <laughs> okay, Scooter Rex. There you go. All that, all that good. Help. And that's how I show my gratitude for all you've done, all these years. So uh, well, I don't I think he just signed off. No. no, I'm just. We wouldn't do that. But I I, I don't know what would happen. This yeah. is why we we're we can't let Section two thirty. Uh, go away. I. What do you think is uh, is going to happen here? Supreme Court, interestingly, was also going to review the two anti-social media cases in Florida and Texas. Their laws in Florida and Texas, which are blatantly unconstitutional, totally right. uh, in in contrary to the First Amendment, and they've deferred it. They've probably taken it off this year's docket by saying, "Well, we're gonna we want to comment from the White House." What is what does the Biden administration think? Which they I know well, I don't, don't know care. What say. They don't care, no but it's a way of them saying, "Yeah, we're not going to do that one this year." Well, the Biden administration is also shooting for two thirty. The left and the right are both shooting for I it. Know. Right? One goes after the shield, one goes after the sword. And yeah, Texas and Florida they're not, but it's, it's going to put them it puts them in a difficult position. So the I think the reason the left and the right are so adamant about this is they think Section two thirty protects big tech and the most important thing i would like you to take away from this and everybody listening is that it isn't big tech i'm worried about i don't care if google has to struggle or facebook or youtube have to struggle it's going to kill the small people like us we're the ones who can least afford all the lawsuits that would come if if section 230 didn't exist it isn't to protect big tech it's to protect the internet and particularly the grassroots nature of the internet so that's Leo, really important i would sit in your lap right now <laughs> see cuz i well and i want to say this seriously is that god bless you last week you were going you were saying something practically the opposite and and you you're open and you're flexible and you're changing well, your I, mind I, and, I, and i respect I, that I, I, in in my uh, what's the opposite of defense? <laughs> offense. In my offense, um, I I oh, I wasn't, I hadn't changed my attitude about two thirty, but I did feel like Google had some moral response. This is the problem: is they have some sort of moral response, and this is also I see the problem is I understand why Congress and the courts might say, well, yeah, but this is reprehensible that Google's promoting this content. What can we do about it? Oh. Let's get rid of this 230 thing. And that's why I want to kind of decouple the yes. two. But yes. you can't, I think you can't decouple the two. And that's really what I've come to the realization right. uh, as much as I'd like to. Because I feel also and, that and, there's and some moral responsibility that Google has not to promote this stuff. Right. 
It's like saying like you're in. It's I mean, it's kind of like child porn and encryption. Yeah, it's it's that sort of it's exactly like that. Yep. Very good. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll watch with interest. I I don't know what the timeline is on the Supreme Court in Section 230. They Uh, they don't have they heard oral arguments? No, they're just taking briefs right now. Briefs. Yep. Uh, and these oral arguments are not going to be the ones from the do not pay chatbot. So, <laughs> yes, right. The do not pay chatbot. Oh, my God. Um, hey, I, I think it's a great use case. It's an interesting test. And the fact that the do not pay chatbot is now going to actually make legal arguments in front of a judge that we don't in a case we don't know about yet. I'm like, lawyers are going to protect lawyers and they're going to say. If you're not paying a lawyer for your defense, then you can't do it. I don't know. That's interesting because the Constitution says you can defend yourself. Constitution, yeah. you don't have to have a lawyer. You you know what they say about that? The person who has their own self as a client is a fool, schmuck, fool for an attorney. Uh, yeah, there's currently no timeline as far as I know for these cases. The Amicus briefs had to be filed by January 12th. That's why they were all filed. Um, but I don't know if the court said when they're going to hear arguments. So I do we want to talk that. about the the government suing Google, which feels like a big Google story? But do we also want to have an ad? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, thank you, uh, Stacy. Because I really need to go get a drink of water. <laughs> no, get a drink. Have uh, whatever you need. Uh, get that Stroop waffle, and uh, we'll take a break. And we come back. We will talk a little bit about uh, more legal action against Google, not just here, but in the EU. As well, the EU has really taken the lead on all this stuff. You're watching and listening to This Week in Google with Stacey Higginbotham, Jeff Jarvis, Aunt Pruitt. And our show today brought to you by HPE GreenLake, orchestrated by the experts at CDW. The helpful people at CDW understand your organization needs simple management over its big data, but with some needing to keep their workloads on-prem, for organizational requirements that it can feel challenged on-prem to organize and optimize your data. But that's where CDW can help your organization by consolidating and managing all your data in one flexible, unified experience. Thanks to HPE GreenLake Edge to Cloud Platform. The experience you get with HPE GreenLake is unique because no matter where your data or applications live, in the cloud, on-prem, you can free up energy and resources with automated processes and streamlined management. And we can all use more streamlined things these days, right? Not only that, HPE GreenLake creates a seamless cloud experience among multiple data environments thanks to the as-a-service model that meets your remote workforce at the edge. And with unrivaled scalability, you'll see an instant increase in capacity, allowing for greater flexibility and accelerated business growth. So your team can tackle bigger priorities like innovation. When you need to get more out of your technology, HPE makes data transformation possible. CDW makes it powerful. Learn more at cdw.com slash HPE. cdw.com slash HPE. We thank CDW for their support of This Week in Google. This Week in Google. So... Yeah, uh, it's interesting to watch the the uh, both the EU and the FTC and the states all going after big tech. 
and uh, and really to some degree, uh, at least in the Section Two Thirty case, we little tech guys are just collateral damage. What? Yeah. Which particular uh, anti Google measure were you thinking about? Oh, Stacy's just getting back. Sorry. Boiling water for tea. Oh, yeah. Had to get that caffeine infusion. Hot water. Mm. I know. Well, this, he said it was a long ad. Okay. Yeah, it was Um, going to be. (laughs) Did I say it was long? I didn't. Yeah, you said it was going to be. I think it was the beginning of the show. I think it was a long uh, Twit social ad. My bad. Oh, that's coming Um, later. I'll do that later. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, This is. (laughs) So, what is. I'm sorry. Google seems to be. I have to say. On the one hand, I think we'd absolutely have to regulate uh, any big comp- big companies. Forget tech. Big companies need to be regulated. Otherwise, you get an uneven playing field. And for the fair market to work, the playing field has to be equal. Everybody has to be able to innovate, compete fairly and equally. And when companies get big, they tend to take advantage of their size to basically unlevel the playing field. So this is part of antitrust is, in my opinion, very important to having a free market society. If you're going to have capitalism, you also have to have this kind of regulation. But at the same time, because it's not just the U.S., it's it's all these other uh, jurisdictions, I feel like it must be really hard these days to be a big company. Yeah, well, this is the one I know I was talking about was the action on Tuesday, which is the Justice Department in the eight states. And this is what Jeff and I talk about all the time with Google, which is where it actually does have a monopoly and it mm-hmm. can abuse it, which is in an online advertising. Yes. So. In fact, they want, uh, they want Google to sell off. Uh, was it double click the ad double click? Yeah. The ad. Well, the, the problem is that Google, oh, I've always had Stacy and I agree on this. I've always said that Google's vulnerable because where it holds a near monopoly is advertising and it runs both ends of the marketplace, the buy and the mm-hmm. sell side. Yeah. And that's what really it makes great efficiency, but that's the problem. Yeah, this is the second. I don't know if they sold one side or the other. Would that be enough? I don't know. This, this is the second uh, ongoing uh, antitrust suit against Google. This is against uh, Google's online ad dominance. And yeah, one of the things they want to do is have Google sell off its ad business. Remember, Google acquired DoubleClick. Gosh, was it twenty fifteen? It was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that gave it really a complete dominance in the online ad market, both as a buyer and a seller. <laughs> um, of course, the Senate uh, tried to pass uh, and failed the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. Uh, Google was fined in France, agreed to a $391 million settlement with state's attorney general for location tracking. I mean, this is this has oh, gone on and on. DoubleClick so, was in twenty or 2007. Seven. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's when that's when uh, Richard was hired by Google. So we're talking to what sixteen years? Yeah, right, the and guy yet, who was on the yet they they. Yeah. I mean, I guess even if something's been part of your company since two thousand seven, you could spin it off. I'm actually kind of sympathetic to this. I think Google is self dealing because they're both selling the ads and buying the ads, and uh, not transparent enough. And and complete yeah. The Justice Department says Google punishes websites that dare to use competing ad tech products and uses its dominance in ad technology to funnel more transactions to its own ad tech products where it extracts inflated fees in li- to line its own pockets at the expense of advertisers and publishers. So they're screwing every 
every both the buyers, the sellers, everybody. I think I think there's there's some merit to this. There's some, oh, there's there are tons competitors. Of there's AppNexus actually started this business, right? But then Google buying um, what did you, you say, Stacey? Two thousand seven, they bought DoubleClick. Yes, for three point one billion dollars. Oh, what a buy! Yeah, what a Ooh. deal. So uh, the government also uh, alleges that Google has quote corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by seizing control of online advertising systems and inserting itself into all aspects of the digital advertising marketplace by eliminating competition through acquisitions and exploiting its dominance to push advertisers to use its products over those of others. Um, Google is the defendant, not any individuals. It also calls for Google to sell part of its ad tech business, which I'm perhaps... Also part of. I think part of is right right to do that yeah i actually think that's that's correct yeah listen to me i'm saying this about google and about regulation so this, this is, is the u.s the whole the state shopping of, thing in europe made no sense about antitrust right this is the antitrust case this, this is the strongest one i think yeah. Oh, yeah this is the doj along with the states of virginia california colorado connecticut new jersey and new york and rhode island and tennessee so that's that pretty much covers covers ninety percent of the uh, of the states, uh, the big the big uh, the big population states. Uh, and I guess the concern is because they can't show harm to consumers, which has has been our standard of antitrust action, that this will have a hard time. But it's also the FTC and the DOJ have been really forward about being like we must rethink how we deal with antitrust. So, Stacey, I, I, I think, think it's different in this case. Sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, I was going to say, so it's really important. I, I think this will be a really important case to talk about, like, that whole strategy. Do you think it harms consumers? Oh, well, no, see, that's, that's where I think it's different in this case, Stacey. I think there's a, there's a, there's, I saw something today, and maybe it was Casey Newton, I can't remember who said it, is that the consumer in this case is not you and me, Jane and Jeff uh, Shopper. The consumer is the advertiser, the media company, the customer. So if the yes. customer gets hurt, and I think that they, that's why they have a decent case here to say that in this marketplace, there is insufficient competition. That's the essence of antitrust and the customer is hurt. So I think it actually holds to the old doctrine. It may. I, I think the argument that I've seen some lawyers take is that it, over time, we have focused on the consumer as the consumer as mm -hmm. opposed to the customer. Yes. So I, I think it's... I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you. It's totally true that the customer here gets hurt. Um, but yeah, we haven't. Which is different from as much about that. Too big, which is more right. Europe. It's just too big. We don't like big. And then it's then it's impossible to define. In this case, if you can define a harm to a party, then you got something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, they're, they're asking for a jury trial. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to go up against a, <laughs> oh a bunch God. of normal people. Uh, here's the oh thing. Uh, here's, the, I think, the clearest statement of, of the problem from the actual uh, pleading, Google, DOJ versus Google. Google, a single company with pervasive conflicts of interest, now controls, one, the technology used by nearly every major website publisher to offer advertising space for sale, correct? Yes, right? There are competitors, as you said, Jeff, but Google's totally dominant in that. Two, the leading tools used by advertisers, the buyers, to buy that advertising space. Google. And 
Three, the largest ad exchange that matches publishers with advertisers each time ad space is sold. Google's pervasive power over the entire ad tech industry, it owns the whole thing, has been questioned by its own digital advertising executives. We've, we've read this email. It was a smoking gun email from within Google. Quote, is there a deeper issue with us? This is back when they were thinking of buying, buying DoubleClick, I think. Is there a deeper issue with us owning the platform, the exchange, and a huge network? The analogy would be if Goldman or Citibank owned the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and Robin Hood. <laughs> so devil's advocate here for a second. Yeah. Just, just devil's advocate to, pl to play Leo for a moment. Please. The I think one of Google's arguments might be that because that auction is going on from the moment you open up the browser page until the ad is served in those milliseconds, that um, the inefficiency of a, of a truly distributed marketplace and, 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 and trading floor in essence uh, might itself hurt media because it would lower the price for the advertising or would lower the value of the advertising because fewer would be able to make it through. I don't know that I believe that. I think I think you can create a network that works, but they're going to argue probably that they that by bringing this efficiency to that exchange, they created more value. Okay, but as the DOJ points out, uh, they create this friction-free, wonderful system and keep 30 cents on the dollar. Google, this is from the DOJ like pleading Apple. again. They keep 30 cents and sometimes far more of every advertising dollar flowing from advertisers to website publishers through their ad tech tools. Google's own internal documents concede Google were far less in a competitive market. 30 cents on the dollar. That's a nice little Apple's business magic there. number. Yeah. Yeah, 30%. Hmm. So they That's just uh, like the uh, App Store. I think honestly the <laughs> yeah. DOJ yeah, wins facts. this hands down. The only question is uh how long is it going to take? What's the remedy? And how what's, the remedy? what's the remedy? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Uh, you know, they apparently want them to to uh, sell off uh double click. Um, well, I think they should sell off one side or the other. There you go. That's what I think too. They have to pick a side. They can't hold on the whole the, that's, the what, that's what I think is the issue yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing here is, and I, I, because uh, when back when they bought DoubleClick, I think their ad revenue was ninety eight percent of revenue for the company. That's now down to eighty percent. They have diversified a lot. Well, it's not because the ad revenue has gone down; it's because they have diversified through hosting and, and other things, which is really interesting to see how Google has changed as a company too. I'm not a lawyer, but if you read this complaint. It is, I think, pretty compelling, uh, and there and the DOJ has lots of evidence, including you know emails that uh, they just listened to Stacy and me. They would have done this years ago, right? Yeah, Stacey? yeah, we're totally qualified, right, Jeff? Yeah, this to me is exactly Even. how antitrust should work. Frankly, uh, this is where a government should step in and say, yeah. No, you can't. You, you gotta. You gotta div, div, divest. You, you get, Say you can't yeah. No, that is exactly yeah, no. what government. You know, yeah. No. <laughs> In a colloquial fashion, yeah. No. But but eight years ago, the tech companies were a lot more popular. Now it's a perfect time to do it politically because everybody's going after the big right. tech companies because they're too big. Right. Um. There's still going to be stupidity in this. Business Journal says. The feds are saying Google has to be broken up. I don't. I think that's not quite w what they're saying. 
They're saying we have you have you have to stop double dealing. The vest. Yeah, I don't think that's that's breaking breaking them up. But but uh, they do say you know I think this is completely legit. I I have to say you're going to have to talk me out of the merits of this case because I'm this, not going to. Yeah, this seems completely legit. I We've talked about Google's this. layers. <laughs> We've talked about this yeah. uh, for years about this yeah. kind of double dealing mm-hmm. situation. One well, and two, it's a case where if you're going to talk about monopoly situations again, monopolies are not illegal. If you if you earn your monopoly, you can have it, right? Uh, but in this case, they're vulnerable because their control percentage of the ad market is so tremendous. Everybody concentrated on how much they control the search. Who cares? Right. It didn't matter. And they don't. Well, you know, they're rightly there. very worried about chat GPT. Uh, we'll get to this a little later on. Uh, ben Thompson's excellent piece in um, Stratechery. I think it's subscriber only, but I'm happy it to subscribe. It is subscriber only, yeah. Uh, on AI. And the big five, he calls it. We'll talk about this in uh, just a little bit. This came out a few weeks ago. But his he thinks Microsoft is best positioned to take advantage of things like chat GPT. We learned this week that uh, the, 10, the, the $10 billion investment that was rumored that Microsoft had put, was going to put into OpenAI is actually, in fact, the amount that Microsoft had started OpenAI with a billion-dollar investment. They're going to now add another $10 billion. And in return for that, they're going to put OpenAI in Microsoft products like Microsoft Office. But but Ben thinks the real strength will be in Bing, the Microsoft search. And that's why Google is calling, you know, saying, red alert, red alert. Uh, I just disagree. I just disagree. Well, we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. I had I had breakfast with somebody, as I say, from Google this week. and 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 he was... Um, saying, and this is, he's not involved in this. He's just, you know, so the guy, a smart guy who works at Google uh, and still works there, uh, who, who was saying that, well, well, ChatGPT and such cannot be involved in science unless they give sources. And I said, ChatGPT doesn't give any sources. And and so there's there's two questions there, right? There's the kind of, where did you get it? Which is the discussion we had last week. Was this inspired by this artist or that artist? But then the second is, if you present a fact does the engine give you backup for that fact? That's a whole other process, which I think can be created. Oh, easily. And re- reportedly, Google's doing that. But ChatGPT, as it is, is worthless. Yeah, worthless. Yeah. But nobody's, nobody's saying no that's what's going to... In fact, I showed you Neva, which does do sources. Nobody's saying that that's right. how Bing's going to do this. Uh, I, 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 And really, I think the only real question is, does Google have a, co- a comparable product? Is Lambda or whatever it is Google's going to be using, can they meet the uh, effectiveness of chat GPT like AI if Bing starts using it? I don't think Bing is just going to put chat GPT on the front page. Jesus. <laughs> but but uh, look, chat GPT just passed the Wharton MBA exam. Or an exam. Well, it a passed an exam given by a business professor. Yeah, yeah, business professor, says Stacey. New research <laughs> yeah. conducted by a professor of University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, which is Donald J. Trump's alma mater, I might add, found oh, that yeah. the artificial intelligence-driven chatbot GPT was able to pass the final exam for the school's Master of Business Administration program. Dang. Yeah. I don't know. Business, business is not like the critical thinking is not important there. 
You sound like it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. No, I'm not the, saying it's going to be fine. AI is not going to take over. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. I, okay. I don't think the AI is going to take over. I think we will have to learn new ways, much like we've learned yes. new ways to collaborate on search. I mean, we we constantly have to adapt. That is what you have to do in life. And so adapting to GPT makes sense and recognizing how to restructure a business exam so kids can't, or so business students who are not necessarily kids don't just use it without learning whatever you're trying to teach them, unless that is what yeah, maybe you're the flaw, to teach Maybe the flaw I mean, is the exam. It's a productivity boost. Yeah, maybe the flaw is the yeah, exam. Yeah, the, the whole point of the exam is, is, is outmoded. Yeah. There, so Clay Shirky, uh, who's at NYU, uh, was interviewed on NBC today and, and was asked, you know, should, should teachers panic? And he said, it's a word calculator. <laughs> which I loved, right? I think it's a great That's way to one look way at to it. put it. Isn't it? Um, but also interestingly, Stacey, to your point, uh, I saw there's this wonderful woman. I have it in the, in the rundown, um, young woman uh, who talks about AI all the time. And she's just found a job listing for a prompt engineer. Nice. Uh, with good pay, by the way. Nice. Yeah, and a, so a we said that was going to happen. Skill. Right. That's where it heads. That's where the educators here's the head. uh here's the lead from a New York Times article of a couple of days ago. While grading essays for his world religions course last month, Anthony Ullman, professor of philosophy at Northern Michigan University, read what he said was easily, quote, the best paper in the class. It explored the morality of burqa bans with clean paragraphs, fitting examples, and rigorous arguments. A red flag instantly went up. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Amon confronted a student over whether he'd written the essay himself. The student confessed to using chat GPT. And in this case, it had written the entire paper. Alarmed I by his discovery, Mr. Armand decided to transform essay writing for his courses this semester. He plans to require students to write first drafts in front of him in the classroom using browsers that monitor and restrict computer activity. In later drafts, students have to, they can take it home home then, but they have to explain each revision. Mr. Almond says he also may forget, forgo essays in subsequent seminars and plans to weave chat GPT into lessons by asking students to evaluate the chat bots responses. That's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the smart thing. And I also think as we encounter this more often, we will start to recognize a little bit, like, I feel like, I now twig to when something looks like it's, um, oh God, what's the the AI, um, the vision one, like stable diffusion right. or mid journey or yeah. uh, mid journey or any of those. I feel, you know, like a little, like a little antenna goes up and I'm like, wait a second, is this real? And I think we'll get that when we start seeing more and more chat GPT in, if you'll start recognizing it for what it is. I, I hope. Maybe. I hope. So here's Ben Thompson's uh, piece, AI and the Big Five. His contention is that AI is introducing a new uh, epoch, epoch, how do you say it? Epoch? Epic? Epoch? I say epic, epoch. but I feel like it's a. Then, I always thought it was epic. Yeah. Well, let's find I out. I thought it was epoch. Okay, hold on. <laughs> let's see what uh, ChatGPT says. ChatGPT has us. <laughs> I can't spell uh, it. Google, you'd have it. Uh, Merriam-Webster says... Epic. 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 Oh, I say that... Well, too, British, too. I say epic, but only because... Um, if, I, if I say epic, it sounds like E-P-I-C, and I want to say... Epoch. Epoch. Mm. 
which is also like accepted. That sounds, that sounds like it's a because then you know what it is. Z P O C H. Anyway, a new epoch, a new era. Let's wait, let's use the word era in computers. He <clears> says the first one was the PC that was a disruptor. Then the internet. He says cloud computing. And then mobile. Clearly, mobile disrupted everything, starting with the Apple iPhone in 2007. Disruptive innovations do consistently come from new entrants in a market, writes Ben, but those new entrants aren't necessarily startups. Sometimes they're companies leveraging their current business to move into a new space. So this is the question. Is uh, is ChatGPT going to transform? Uh, I think it is then a new epoch or era in computing. But who's going to be the winner in this? Uh, he talks about Apple, think? Amazon, uh, Google, and Meta. But he says, really, he thinks Microsoft is going to be the big winner. Um, oh, do you think the $40 a month bill that they were proposing, uh, ChatGPT was proposing, is is okay? Seems like that's a little low based on previous discussions about how much compute power and cost of that. It was to them. Seems like that's a low number. It's going to be relicensed, I think. I think we overfocus on ChatGPT. There are plenty of other things that do this. There's Mm -hmm. there's tons of stuff. Let's not let's not say ChatGPT, but in general, yeah, they just did Mm -hmm. brilliant PR by releasing it the way they did. Well, and and it's and it's opened our eyes as as did Stable Diffusion. Right, they opened our eyes to what what AI could do. But there's going to be others, and there's Mm -hmm. probably going to be better. Right. One of the things that ChatGPT lacks is it, it it's frozen in time, but it's completely possible to write one that's constantly just like Google spidering the Internet for new content yeah. so that it's always up yeah. to date. That would be another thing. And yes, that should cost more because that's a that's an expensive process. The reason Ben thinks Microsoft, he says, uh, is going to be the winner here. Well, I'll read the whole paragraph. Microsoft, meanwhile, seems the best place of all compared to the other four. Like AWS, it has a cloud service that sells GPU. That's a big deal because current mm-hmm. models require lots of storage and fast processors. Most people don't want to invest in those fast processors for something they're only going to do it's, once it's, in a while. So they rent it from Amazon a or Google. It's, it's as a, a service, service, right. Okay. Uh, and, and Microsoft's one of the – in fact, Microsoft is the exclusive cloud provider for OpenAI. He says, yeah, that costs Microsoft a lot of money. It's incredibly expensive, to your point, uh, But given that OpenAI appears to have the inside track to being the AI epochs addition to this list of top tech companies, that means Microsoft is investing in the key infrastructure of this new epoch. Bing, and this is an interesting one, I thought, is meanwhile like the Mac on the eve of the iPhone. Like the Mac, which was a driver for Apple until the iPhone came out. Mm. Yes, Bing contributes a fair bit of revenue, but it's a fraction of the dominant player, Google. And it doesn't really amount to much in the context of Microsoft as a whole. But if incorporating ChatGPT-like results, and let's not say ChatGPT, but something like that, into Bing mm-hmm. risks the business model for the opportunity to gain massive market share, that's a bet well worth making. We know uh, Microsoft has admitted that uh, GPT is coming to Microsoft productivity apps. They're already using GPT and Copilot on GitHub. And despite the controversies, it's it's been pretty successful, I think. Um, what's important is that adding on new functionality, perhaps for a fee, fits perfectly with Microsoft's current subscription business model. And it's notable the company once thought of as a poster child for victims of disruption 
will, in the full recounting, not just be born of disruption, but be well-placed to reach greater heights because of it. Uh, I still don't get it. Well, I think we're going to wait and see. But uh, if uh, I think just the threat to uh, to Google from Bing by itself is a is a big story. He, he compares well, Google's house to is going to become more valuable then. Yeah, why? Seattle real estate. Oh, I should move up there quick. Uh, he, he talks about uh, Eastman Kodak. Child, Stacy, he's coming. He says he says you know Kodak is often the poster child for uh, the innovator's dilemma, right? For uh, being disrupted, but he said. In fact, Kodak did it right. <laughs> it took over 25 years from the time of the digital camera's invention for digital camera sales to surpass film camera sales. It took still longer for digital cameras to be used in professional applications. Kodak made a lot of money in the meantime, paid out billions of dollars in dividends. Yeah, sure, they went bankrupt in 2012, but that was because customers had better access to better products. And uh, they didn't need them, but the, they the, could have done something different. They could have been Netflix and been in the he red says not. business and the streaming business. He says not really. He says uh, Kodak's Kodak, even if had Kodak, Kodak, in fact, had digital cameras at the very earliest. Oh, yeah. But, mm -hmm. but they would have been foregoing all of that 25 years of profit. To have, ah, so you're just saying get out as much money as you can yeah, while you can. They weren't guaranteed leave. to win that race, the digital camera race, right? Yep. So they would basically I mean, saying, a, I'm going to bet on this race and, and put all my money in digital. This is what Meta is doing, by the way, with VR. Put all my money in. And meanwhile, forego all the profits really well. of 25 years for this kind of weak bet. That's a pretty big gamble. He says Kodak actually shouldn't be the poster child for failure. This is this this is the best you can get when you're when you're. Well, in a that's situation. a very shareholdery perspective. If you are the CEO of Kodak and working for shareholders, sure. Give it, but if you're thinking about the employees or somebody who's trying to create and operate a business, well, you'd have had to fire to all transition. of those people doing film, developing, processing. Yeah, you could, you'd you have could to bring them through. Okay. I mean, I you wouldn't have to fire everybody. In 25 years is a long time. You could you could ease people out. The point is, I mean, under that rubric, yes, Kodak is a success. I would say a better look at like the innovator's dilemma would be something like Verizon or actually, you know what? A better example is Comcast in cable in Verizon, like the D, like the broadband companies and the encroachment of broadband on their wireline business, which used to be their cash cow in profit center because they had put all this stuff in and they could just keep making money off of it. And what you saw was them push as far as they could, making money from both and then gradually expanding the market, like the pocket share that they had of your revenue from broadband as people cut their landlines. So yep. if you notice, yep. you used to spend about 150 bucks a month for your landline and your cable and your broadband, maybe 200. Now you still spend about, 150 bucks or 200 you just only have broadband <laughs> yeah, that's a good point they've yeah, done it they've done it right uh dwindle asked by the way chat They're gpt evil. to write a story uh about us <laughs> ready once upon a time leo laporte jeff jarvis aunt pruitt and stacy higginbotham were all hosting a technology podcast together they were discussing the latest advancements in the industry when suddenly the studio's power went out the four hosts quickly went into problem-solving mode, using their extensive knowledge of technology to find a solution. They managed to fix the issue 
and continue the podcast without missing a beat. The end. And cue the PG&E cut now. <laughs> it wouldn't be us. It would be Jammer B. Uh, <laughs> it would be Benito. <laughs> it would be uh, Russell. Russell, Russell Tammany. It wouldn't be us. Do you have a generator there? No. So. We, so, of course, when I worked at Tech TV, uh, there was a lot of redundancy. They had, we put in a building-capable generator that would keep us on the air. Etc. Yeah. Etc. Etc. Et then the power went Running out. Running on diesel. Yeah. Running on diesel. <laughs> then the power went out. I remember it vividly because I'm standing on the set. We're in the middle of a show, live show. Lights go out. First thing, first sign of trouble. And then we had cameras <laughs> on jibs that were, you know, on on crane arms that were powered. And then the oh. camera went. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just drooped. And I thought, oh, this is bad. <laughs> I heard the generator in the back. This thing was a big diesel, like a Cummins diesel engine. Go, <laughs> yep, and nothing, oh. <laughs> and nothing. Oh. Um, anyway, having learned that lesson, you spent a lot of money for complete redundancy, and you know. But I, I decided when long ago, John, that this the twit was not mission critical. <laughs> that if the power went out. We just go home. IRC says otherwise, sir. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if the power goes out, no harm, no foul. We go home. Now, Lisa doesn't like this at all. She says, yeah, but we got ads. And blah, blah, blah. And, but the cost of being fully redundant is insane. We just yeah. spent, and I yeah. against my better judgment, $23,000 to have... Uh, we had a power outage. I don't know if you remember. It wasn't on the air, but the... We have a thing for our audio. Uh, our audio is based on a system called Telus Axia, and this the power the thing that powered it went died while Burke was here. Yeah, John was out. It was late last year. Yeah, one Sunday right? uh, overnight, something like that. Were you here, John? Okay, it went out. Anyway, John runs in. Everybody runs in. John's always here. We cycle it. It's back, but they scared everybody. So. <laughs> My position was, so what? <laughs> we just, <laughs> we, 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 you know, it was like, I'm half out the door, people. Day Let's off. just. We send for another one. The yeah. next day, FedEx it. The next day, we're back on. Big deal. Oh, no. So we just spent $23,000 to replace it with the latest and greatest, which we now have to wire up and stuff. And, and I said after that, you know, I was told, well, we're doing it. I said, but what about all the other systems for which we have no backup? including power. And, I mean, how many systems... What if the TriCaster dies? What do we do? Do we put the second TriCaster online? Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, yeah, we have an all call in. Right well, you know what we do, Leo? You know, I'll what? tell you what we do. What? You, go, you use your laptop. You go find one. And we all call into a Zoom call. And, and you we broadcast that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd go to my... Ha no, we actually... We do have did because that for of the wild, one time. For, yeah, I did it well, for the wildfires. Um, uh, when we thought they were approaching us, we we, we made a plan that I would go home and do the show, and I even did the twit uh, at home because something. Actually, was that mm -hmm. when the power? That was when the Axia went out. That's when the power went out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, this is not mission critical. No one's. It's not a hospital. <laughs> No one's. It is die. to us, Leo. Well, 
We'll I'm with Leo. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, get me to the waffles. I'm like power out. Oh, waffles. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> hey, this is breaking news. Just came in. Oh. This is a tweet from a Divergence Aaron. Earlier this evening, Kevin Rose, who of course is a good friend of the network, one of the founders of uh, uh, one of the early guys at Tech oh, TV, boy. was fished into signing a malicious signature that allowed the hacker to transfer a large number of high-value tokens. Here's a oh, breakdown boy. of what happened. Our immediate response, our ongoing efforts. He was socially engineered into a false sense of security. Kevin uh, has tweeted since, I was just hacked. This was uh, at 11.02 this morning. Stay tuned for details. Please, and this is really important, everybody, please avoid buying any squigglers, squiggles, squiggles, until we get them flagged. I know what that means. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, sure. Don't buy, okay, don't buy any squiggles until we get them flagged. He lost 25 and a few other NFTs, including an autoglyph. So there. I'm sorry. I don't want to laugh at Kevin's. Oh, loss, you know what? But. I will say in line with this, we saw one of the, I, I was looking at, I get a bunch of annual reports and predictions from cybersecurity firms. Um, one of their big predictions that they are starting to see and will continue to see, they think, is people using chat GPT to socially engineer people more effectively. Oh, which is an oh I got a good one. Makes sense. Yeah. We covered this oh, yesterday oh. on security. Now people are writing malware working malware on chat gpt with chat gpt people with no coding experience and it works oh, wow dang well i guess if it works for that patch that he that he found the other week for was it for last pass mm. the, that just and, did the the ue the gui coding and stuff but yeah i mean it can code yeah. it can code really well uh anyway uh i'm sorry kevin that you lost according to uh, his friend prager as much as a million dollars Kevin made fifty million dollars sending selling digital moon owls, <laughs> so he's. I don't think he's going to be hurting. I'm sorry, but you know what? I feel like live by the crypto, uh, die by yeah. the crypto. I this is not. This happens. This is an unregulated financial instrument, uh, which is a nonstop hack fest. Uh, but he sorry. was on the cover of what was it? Was it Business, Business Week? Or? That was for a dig. The thirty. What did they say man. he was going to be worth? Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin always laughed at that because he it said he was yeah. worth thirty million with Dig. Dig ended up. I don't think he made a lot of money on Dig. It ended up. But now he is. He made a lot of money was. investing early in Twitter and other yeah he uh, was early an stage angel, companies. Right? He was a well, angel, angel investor. Yeah, no, he was an angel. Oh, he was. Uh, an angel. He okay. did fine. He was at Google Ventures for a while as a VC. Uh, I think he's at True Ventures now as a VC, but of late he's really gotten into DeFi, crypto, NFTs. Made uh, his he didn't make it, but his group, Solana, his group made uh, fifty million dollars. Uh, the group include Beeple, who's probably the number one NFT artist. They made fifty million dollars selling their digital owls NFT collection, and yep, um, I that. yeah, he I made so much. Can. He made so much money that he had to make a video. Saying, "Look, I'm not gonna. <laughs> we're gonna put the. We're not. <laughs> we're gonna spend. We're gonna do the. We're gonna do. I don't know. He made some justification video. I feel bad for Kevin. I love Kevin as a person. Oh, that's uh, right. But I don't love NFTs, crypto, and I do feel like this is this is the way of the world with this stuff. And you know, I still don't have a problem with NFTs allowing artists to get paid. My problem is the scam behind it all. 
you know, it feels like the whole thing is a house of cards scam, and I just uh, it's better you you're better off if look if Kevin could get scammed, anybody could get scammed. He's a sophisticated True. user. The other thing True. too is you, you get Gary Vaynerchuk who will make up you know in thirty seconds make up a a mouse and say this mouse is going to be huge, not imagining. The actual creativity that goes into building a character and building stories and building everything else. I have a character. It's going to be huge. It's kind of offensive to all creativity. I find it a little offensive. It's a little bit yeah, about... The ape stuff offended me. I yeah. never really got down with the board ape well, stuff. Well, it's... it's and the owls, too. Yeah. It's how can we take somebody's art and monetize? It's folk, The whole focus is... Well, how can we create a scarcity? Yeah. The whole focus is... That's yeah, whole it's, thing it's creating an artificial scarcity yeah. or yeah. it's... Cre- to to hype up something that inherently can't, that doesn't have value. Well, I won't yeah. say it because, you know, who's to say a board ape doesn't have value? Yeah, it has value to someone. Yeah, but, but not at that level stuff. in, yeah, anyway. I think it's it's kind of the end of the copyright arc. This whole notion of, of creativity as, as a property versus an act and that you can put a fence around it. And make it into a tradable asset. And so, what the what the the NFT people say, the Web three people say, is we're going to everybody's going to own everything. I think that I think the world's going in a different way, and I think it's the last gasp of that worldview. Uh, yeah, I think we're <laughs> yeah. There's a lot wrong with the world today. That's all I can say. I say, I feel like I know. Uh, this is what happens when you get past a certain age. You start saying, "Hey, the way it is is not the way it used to be, and it's not good." <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm old ish, and I say that. No reflection on Kevin. I'm sorry that that happened to you. That's terrible. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a cautionary tale for all of us. Well, I hope that he reveals how he uh, was socially engineered. Well, yes. Maybe it's- to help us all, to cut off that tactic for whoever's doing it. Well, yeah. it may be just like truly good social engineering. So we just don't know. Yeah, like I'm sure we'll hear more more about it. Um, T-Mobile says for the second time, hackers have stolen a bunch of data. They promised it wouldn't happen again. But you know how those things are. Thirty seven million customers name, address and account number. They say. And of course, I trust them. Credit card data and networks weren't affected, nor were passwords. Um, They discovered the hack January 5th. We're able to trace the source and stop it within a day. Well, but 37 million <laughs> accounts were exfiltrated. In 2021, the same thing happened. Uh, they got personal information, including social security numbers, driver's license information of 13 million active and 40 million prospective T-Mobile customers. They settled a half-billion-dollar class action lawsuit and said, oh, we're going to make sure that doesn't ever happen again. Enough said. Enough said. see a question? Yes. On the story? Uh, line 87 out of um, Las Vegas, the active cooling chip to get rid of fans. Is this real? Have you seen this? Oh, I saw this. Um, let me look at it again because I haven't seen this. Is this the, the jet blowing thing? No, I don't or think it takes something? any air. It just it just manages oh. to, to take the... Um, seem like heat off the Discord from mm. someone. What did you say? 
Seems like I saw this in our Discord from someone too. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, I've I been ignoring this been story a for a week, uh, but that's I'm glad I was you asking. brought it up, Jeff. <laughs> well, I no, I was asking. That's why. I, no, is it BS? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? I just I would love to have no threat of fans in the future. That's why I'm asking. Uh, I, I, oh, I have to watch movies. a video to see. Yeah, this, I, yeah. Uh, story by all this, this crap. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Okay. <clears throat> Frore Systems, a San answer. Jose, California-based company, has been working on a project. Oh, this is the Airjet stuff. To build a solid-state yeah, okay. piezoelectric-based cooling solution, which works through the use of ultrasonic membranes that run across the surface of a heat spreader, pulsing out the heat from a processor. Oh, that was supposed to replace by and quietly. My nose thing, too. That was supposed to replace... There was supposed to be a little tiny thing I put in my nose that would get rid of my... Um, I'll tell you, in general... Yeah, that never happened. Yeah. In general, just, you know, my my way of doing these things, when they make a product, I'll talk about it. Okay. Oh, I, I talk about things ahead of the making of the product. Of course, I am a former chip reporter, so that's part of what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't talked to these people, so I would have to look. A lot of, to me, um, <clears throat> having done this for 40 freaking years... Uh, I note <laughs> only half as long. I note that there's always a lot of excitement about new technologies, and people say, oh, "It's going to change the world, it's change everything." And ninety percent of the time, you never see another story about it for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. my general rule is: if when it's a product, when they're actually you know close to ship, then maybe they're not shipping yet, but they're up, they're in the well, a CES is full of stuff that's never going to ship to. So, no, when it's a product, I'll talk about it. Until then, it's a novelty. It's perhaps interesting. I've been bitten <laughs> a few times. We talked a lot. Steve Gibson was so excited about super capacitive charging that was, you know, and I actually have a screwdriver that works that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it hasn't really done anything else. So <laughs> it's screwdriver. Yeah, oh, I have a super okay, capacitor so, screwdriver. It charges very fast and discharges almost as fast. <laughs> so this company awesome. does have a hundred million dollars from Intel and from Qualcomm, which again, if you're going to invest in I mean, they would be the people who'd invest in it. Doesn't so yeah, I think the technology is viable. Will it become commercial? That's still to be TBD, Jeff. How's that? That's the answer I wanted to hear. Thank you, Stacey. I wanted okay. context, perspective, not an old yeah. man whining. My my general. It again, looks like my, so if, my <laughs> general point of view is okay. We can only cover about fifty to hundred stories a week, and most of these are never going to become important. I just have anything. an idle curiosity. I will say this looks okay. like it has to be built into the chip. At some level, not if not the CPU itself, then this like module, like mm-hmm. the SOC, the whole kit and caboodle. It looks like a physical solution that is built on top of or into the thing, which means that it would be harder to implement because it would change the way these things are packaged and or manufactured. See, which this is be- what I wanted with Stacy's perspective. Thank you. That's exactly what I was curious to hear. So, so, so that yeah. is that is what I will give you now based on the the. 30, 30 seconds. <laughs> I have I have read. I'm not sold. Sorry. Again, you don't have we've to. now wasted five minutes. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, this like you don't why, waste time. This is not why it's not a democracy. I carefully <laughs> cultivate the stories that we use. I've been well, ignoring. I was I, excited to, to use my expertise to help Jeff out. I, so. I'm glad you got That part Thank was you. great. Yeah. 
That part was great. <laughs> but look, watch this. I'm going to type the last of us into Google search. Why? Couldn't figure out why this was. A- oh, there's a red mushroom. What do you think that means? <gasps> oh, no. Oh, spores. Uh-oh. Really? This is more exciting than a whole hey, new at least it's real. technology? At it least it's real. real. It's just not it's commercial. And it's about Google. <laughs> it's well, real. It's happening right now on my desktop. Ooh. Okay. I don't I don't know. I think this has you to do with it? No. It has to do with some HBO no, show I'm not watching. It's the last of us. It's the call how do you say it? Call us up pris- it was, a, it was it's a the one really, that makes ants yeah takes over their brains and it was, it was and that's the basis Look, of the it's show. all zombies. freaking zombies, zombies. right it's, um, so it's another zombie show it was a game it was a pretty good game I like it was the game, a game. And that's I why people it. are interested is because they've turned a game into a TV show again in my opinion another piece of evidence that the world's going steps. to hell uh, but you know okay uh, isn't is there not a William Faulkner short story you could use? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Hey everybody, Leo Laporte here. I am the founder and one of the hosts at the Twit Podcast Network. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do here at Twit, because I think it's unique. And I think for anybody who is, uh, bringing a product or a service to a tech audience, you need to know about what we do here at Twit. We've built an amazing audience of engaged, intelligent, affluent listeners who listen to us and trust us when we recommend a product. Our mission statement is to, is to build a highly engaged community of tech enthusiasts. Boy, already you should be, your ears should be perking up at that because highly engaged is good for you. Tech enthusiasts, if that's who you're looking for, this is the place. We do it by offering them the knowledge they need to understand and use technology in today's world. And I hear from our audience all the time, Part of that knowledge comes from our advertisers. We are very careful. We pick advertisers with great products, great services, with integrity, and introduce them to our audience with authenticity uh, and genuine enthusiasm. And that makes our host red ads different from anything else you can buy. We are literally bringing you to the attention of our audience and giving you a big, fat endorsement. We like to create partnerships with trusted brands, brands who are in it for the long run, long-term partners that want to grow with us. And we have so many great success stories. Tim Broom, who founded IT Pro TV in 2013, started advertising with us on day one, has been with us ever since. He said, quote, we would not be where we are today without the Twit Network. I think the proof is in the pudding. Advertisers like IT Pro TV and Audible that have been with us for more than 10 years. They stick around because their ads work. And honestly, isn't that why you're buying advertising? You get a lot with Twit. We have a very full service attitude. We almost think of it as kind of artisanal uh, advertising, boutique advertising. You'll get a full service continuity team. People who are on the phone with you, who are in touch with you, who support you from with everything from copywriting to graphic design. So you are not alone in this. We embed our ads into the shows. They're not they're not added later. They're part of the shows. In fact, often 
they're such a part of our shows that our other hosts will chime in on the ad saying, yeah, I love that. Or just the other day, one of our hosts said, man, I really got to buy that. That's an additional benefit to you because you're hearing people, our audience trusts saying, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, we deliver, always over deliver on impressions. So you know you're going to get the impressions you expect. The ads are unique every time. We don't pre-record them and roll them in. We are genuinely doing those ads in the middle of the show. Uh, we'll give you great onboarding services. Ad tech with pod sites that's free for direct clients. Gives you a lot of reporting. Gives you a great idea of how well your ads are working. You'll get courtesy commercials. You actually can take our ads and share them across social media and landing pages. That really extends the reach. There are other free goodies, too, including mentions in our weekly newsletter that's sent to thousands of fans engaged fans who really want to see this stuff we give you bonus ads and social media promotion too so if you want to be a long-term partner introduce your product to a savvy engaged tech audience visit twit.tv slash advertise check out those testimonials mark mccrary is the ceo of authentic you probably know him one of the biggest uh, original podcast advertising companies we've been with him for 16 years Mark said the feedback from many advertisers over 16 years across a range of product categories, everything from razors to computers, is that if ads and podcasts are going to work for a brand, they're going to work on Twitch shows. I'm very proud of what we do because it's honest, it's got integrity, it's authentic, and it really is a great introduction to our audience of your brand. Our listeners are smart, they're engaged, they're tech-savvy, they're dedicated to our network, and that's one of the reasons we only work with high-integrity partners that we've personally and thoroughly vetted. I have absolute approval on everybody. If you've got a great product, I want to hear from you. Elevate your brand by reaching out today at advertise at twit.tv. Break out of the advertising norm. Grow your brand with host-read ads on twit.tv. Visit twit.tv slash advertise for more details, or you can email us, advertise at twit.tv. Dot TV if you're ready to launch your campaign now. I can't wait to see your product. So give us a ring. Twitter now is down, according to CNBC, to 550 engineers. Uh, 80%. He said he was going to fire 75%. He's fired 80% of employees. Headcount around 1,300. And of that, all, about half, little little more than half, a little less than half, rather, are full-time engineers. So how's he making up the difference? He's brought in people from Tesla, SpaceX, and the Boring Company. 130 people well, from other companies. Say. Boy, I'd be pissed if I were a It's like one oh. more. <laughs> like, what? Were they not doing anything over there? Why didn't you and fire who's them? who's paying them? Yeah, who's are paying they, them? Are they still being paid by Tesla? No, what, what do you think? What do you think? Well, well, Twitter apparently doesn't have a, an accounting department, so. Right. They, they, ain't, they ain't paying them. <laughs> they ain't paying them. Uh, all right. Let's see. Let's see. I mean, we when did... Jack did two companies, he had a pretty firm wall, right? It did, well, it people were across. pretty pissed that Jack was kind of barely but paying attention. Time. Yeah, at Twitter. Uh, and uh, but I, he wasn't using. Staff I think that's why. One, yeah. By the way, Twitter was available and and could be snagged by uh, Elon. Is that people were very unhappy with the way it was being run, uh, and weren't oh, happy too. with the board, and you know it was just not a good. Twitter's been, it's, I guess it's important to understand, Twitter's been in trouble long before Elon came along. Yes. But who, boy? Oh, boy. So uh, the Academy Award uh, nominations came out. 
uh, on Monday. And there was one kind of big surprise. There were a number of snubs, Viola Davis, who probably should have been uh, nominated. Wait, uh, she was snubbed? You sh- you serious? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't you didn't hear about this? No. Dance day. Are you being facetious or real? No, I'm serious. Yeah. He seemed Ooh. pretty upset. The, the, yeah. the, what was the, the goddess? Uh, what was the name the of the woman king? The woman king. The woman king. And apparently it was an amazing performance, right? Yes. Just, um, oh, that sucks. Uh, that sucks. Yeah. Hollywood sucks, man. Sucks. Well, the reason there's a reason I bring it up because instead of uh, her getting a nomination, a woman named Andrea Riseborough got a name, nomination for a movie called To Leslie that made $27,000 at the box office. But f- now, normally the way this works in Hollywood, and you know this, Jeff, is during this period of a few months between November and January, uh, there are ads everywhere, billboards for your everywhere. Consideration. FYC, for your consideration, to you know, the movie companies trying to gin up interest in their movies so they get nominated because that's that makes a difference in box office. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie was so small, and the company that made it was so small, they obviously couldn't afford it. But somehow, Twitter put them over the top. Kate Blanchett, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, Meryl Streep, Daniel Day-Lewis, Martin Scorsese, all tweeted saying Andrea Riseborough's performance in To Leslie was, quote, they all said this, the greatest screen performance in the history of the cinematic medium, end quote. It worked. She got a nomination for Best Actress, beating God out be damn. Viola Davis. Wow. Uh, it's so there's some question about what was going on here. Uh, there was some kind of groundswell for maybe it was maybe it was organic for uh, for this woman. Everybody says it was a great performance. I I brought I it up only because no it shows with promotion. Twitter still has a lot of power. Yeah, right. I have no problem with you using that that platform for promotion purposes because it clearly works. I'm still a little pissed Miss Davis didn't get denied. Damn, she was good in that. Every year there's uh, – who the woman who was in Till was also uh, snubbed. Uh, yeah, now I don't forgot the name. Yeah, I can't either. But every year this happens that there are some snubs. I haven't seen a movie in three years. Actually, if if you look – if you look at the nominees, I'm not impressed. Avatar, Top Gun. Ugh. Normally, Top uh, Gun was legit good. Though. It was a good movie, but not the kind of picture that normally gets nominated for Best Picture. A no, German, a small no. German uh, anti-war film, I guess. A remake of the classic All Quiet in the Western Front got Best Picture nomination. It got a bunch of nominations. Um. Uh, so did, oh, what was it called? Well, everything, the everywhere, Vinner, Vinner, all, she, oh, the, uh, yeah, everything, the, everything. The, yeah, but the, the, the number one nominee was, uh, and I think justly was everything everywhere all at once. Michelle yeah, Yeoh and what a, what an interesting, different movie. movie. And I'm glad it got all the 11 nominations. I'm glad it got all of them. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, Riseboro is, uh, the, an addict trying to break free from her demons in Michael Morris's debut film. She wins the lottery, then burns through the money. Uh, two Leslie begins seven years after that win, when she gets evicted from the motel she's been living in. Oh, it premiered at South yeah. by in uh, March, grossed only 27,000 in a brief theatrical run. It is available for rent, 
uh, on all the you know platforms, Prime and Apple. I, I'll be watching it. That's why these things I'll are so important, right? I'll give it a look. Yeah. Uh, it last the the campaign for it was uh, a grassroots affair, according to the L.A. Times. Lasted only a few weeks, but so many people tweeted about it. There were even actors inviting people to come over to their house for a screening. Uh, Oscar winner Gwyneth Paltrow shared on Instagram she caught a screening calling the film a mat- masterpiece on her Instagram account, saying Riseboro should win every award there is and all the ones that haven't been invented yet. Huh. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would check it out based on that. I'm like, all yeah. right, well, if these people who... Jennifer Aniston invited people over to her house to see the movie. You're not going to say no when Jennifer calls. She didn't call me. I don't know. Did you have popcorn? Did she call, I was going to say, did she call you? No. <laughs> um, Kate Winslet uh, at an event. Oh, that's a, that's a woman who can act. Yeah. Uh, she uh, gushed, you should be up for everything. You should be winning everything. Andrea Riseborough, I think she is the, is, this is the greatest female performance on screen I have ever seen in my life. Jeez. Come on. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll check it out now. Yeah, that's. I am now too. Um, I'm like, well, I mean, they they went and, on YouTube. And I'll give it a fair shake. They went on YouTube. Here's Kate Winslet in conversation with Riseboro and the director. Uh, Hi, everyone. I am. This is Kate Winslet. Hi. Uh, and I mean, that's support. I maybe it must have been the greatest performance in all of all time for them. Well, that's what I'm like. I'm like, these are not people who like. Yeah. Like, it's enough of a wide variety of people. I'm like, well, shoot, maybe they do. There was, a little, upset. Come off his- there was a little upset. Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler is the other uh, actress from Till, who many thought were frontrunners for Best Actress, didn't get a nomination. Well, to their credit, this doesn't sound cooked to me. Yeah, it just sounds like people, like, you know, when someone loves a book and they're like, oh, my God, you have to read it. You give it yeah. to everybody. It kind of sounds like that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think you could, I don't think there's enough money in the world to get, you know, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Demi Moore, Jamie Lee Curtis, Brad Lee Whitfield, and all these people. <laughs> really? You don't think so? We got a guy I, I think there's enough money in the world. But Kate Winslet on the other hand. No, somebody these people, else's money. they're and, not going to, yeah. even for a, they don't need a, you know, here's $5 million. Would you plug our friend? No. It ain't they must have all thought this was amazing, right? <laughs> no, I agree. It doesn't sound cooked, but they, it could be cooked, but it just doesn't sound doesn't, cooked. It's fascinating, but it does show, and again, that's the only reason I bring it up, that social yeah. media, including very much Twitter, but also Instagram, YouTube, and others, can really uh, have some power. Yeah. Well, but within that small circle, I mean, here I'm going to argue, um, it's not any more the mass numbers it didn't make a difference with the public it made a difference with a very small circle of people it's just like journalists talking to each other right this was their you know little echo chamber yeah and yeah but that leads to stories and things that get it to mass and that's all that matters we'll see how much more than twenty seven thousand dollars it ends up making what's it called again because i gotta make a note I'm trying Two, to do better about watching actual movies yeah I'll, I'll watch this this is not a blockbuster by any means too leslie um, here's Edward Norton's let's, tweet. Let's, let's check the, uh, what's the rotten, rotten tomatoes? tomatoes? Yeah. Oh, 98%. Well, that's pretty, but you know what? Lately there's a wow. lot of 98% that I might not agree with. 
I will say, though, I watched Paddington because it had a perfect Rotten Tomatoes, and it was a great decision. Was it perfect? Paddington? Yes, it was a great movie. I realized, and this, I realized this actually back with the Zagat Guides, uh, which were, uh, until Google bought them and kind of destroyed it, was a great little slim red guidebook to restaurants that you could buy. And it, w- it was very reliable. Lisa and I used to do our own Zagat after we go to a restaurant. Was that a 27? No, there was more like a 23. But it was usually pretty reliable. But then I realized it really depended because it was all done by the public on what public, right? So the yeah. Zagat yes. restaurant guides in Peoria, Illinois, for instance, were less... Olive Garden is a great place. <laughs> <laughs> well, the number, yes. the number one... <laughs> Uh, according to Foodies Food Week in Peoria, Illinois, the number one appetizer was the salsa and chips at Chipotle. So, <laughs> so that's why I used uh, Peoria in this case. Uh, but but I realized that if if you're in San Francisco, for instance, and and a restaurant's twenty seven, that's a different thing than if you're in another city and it's a twenty seven. Bob, but yes. And I think it's the same with Rotten Tomatoes because it's selective. The people who go see Pad, I would never see Paddington, but I'm also probably the guy who give it a 43. Right, right. Oh, no. No, it's really an engaging movie. I mean, as long as you just... <laughs> I'm looking at the You're Rotten gonna... Tomatoes score and the audience score is just as high as the, the credit score for this to Leslie. That says a lot, too. Normally I think we have to see... We have to see very two skewed. I see Leo. We've got to see two Leslie and chair, Leo. You now have Patty. to see Paddington. Yep. Oh, <laughs> she made me do it. Stacy made me watch Paddington. I have, I have a rule oh. ever since the kids got up past 13. I don't see animated crap at all. Ever. It's not animated. Paddington is. Okay, the bear. Okay, fine. The bear, the is, the bear is, is a puppet. Like, covered yeah. Stacy's soft yeah. side. Yeah. We've discovered. Romantic. You know, I'll be honest. Really, Paddington the real Bear. problem with Paddington uh, for me is the fact that when we showed Paddington having tea with yeah. Queen Elizabeth, yeah. we yeah. that that oh yeah that uh, take that F, that whole episode is still not up. Uh, the bastards at the Paddington the Bear Consortium Birds. took oh. us down. So okay, um, well, I was not aware of that, but Studio Canal it was a delightful movie. I will never see two thirty. He'd be sued for calling them bastards. <laughs> No, wait a minute. Bastards is oh no, bastards is a matter of fact, isn't it? Uh, jerks, I could say. You can you can you can't libel somebody with something that's an opinion. Only with a matter of fact. If I if I were to say, oh, Studio Canal, those guys are extortionists, I could get in trouble because they're not. Uh, right. But if I say they're but a bastard dumb, has a literal meaning, and that exactly. So I'm realizing I can't call them bastards. I can only say okay. they're bad. Bad people. <laughs> they are. That was so a good episode. No, I have no. I have no. They're I heavy actually, on the. Actually, I don't really. <laughs> illegal threats against them. Uh, it was Paddington Two. Should we see Paddington or Paddington Two? No, you should see the first Paddington. Okay. Paddington what, Two was just yeah. That was just a, a cheap attempt to capitalize on the joy exactly excellence of the original. You know what? I loved this book when I when when my kids were little. I read the book to them. I loved it. Andrew even liked the movie, and he's kind of a cranky person like you. <laughs> he thought it was delightful as well. So he's he was being nice to you. He was humoring you, Stacey. Did you ever think of that? No. 
All right. <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to let this be a democracy for one brief shining moment and give you a chance to pick some of these. Jeff put more stories in here than I did. Well, I, this is, I, this does not surprise any of us. Yeah. Uh, I do it every week. We've done a, we've done a lot of them. We've done a lot of them. Um, I did a lot of them actually this yeah. week. And last week you did a lot of them. I was very happy. Yeah. I didn't want to point it out for the fear that you'd notice. In fact, I'm looking and I think I've done them almost all of them. You've done a good There's a weird story. You want a weird story? A yeah. little weird story? The man who sued Chick-fil-A? Yes. How yes. did I know? <laughs> it's a wacky story. He is a Virginia man, is suing Chick-fil-A in San Francisco over sharing data with Facebook. He Coming from a precedent, a law that was passed because of, get to that part, fascinating. A Virginia man making the company the sixth to be sued in the last 35 days for alleged violations of an obscure federal statute. Uh, this includes Dave and Buster's Lazy Boy Mattel, Smucker's Procter & Gamble. Uh, all six of the cases filed by the same guy, Keith Carroll, who said each of the defendants illegally shared his personally identifiable information with Facebook. He wants $25 for each member of the six classes. Uh, oh, he wants him to be a class action. Okay. This is the Video Privacy Protection Act of largely forgotten federal statute passed in 1988 in response to the public outing of the video cassette viewing records of Supreme Court nominee Robert Bork. Oh, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> you may remember that actually is uh, way back when that uh, 146 videotapes that Bork rented. Bork, by the way, did not ascend to the Supreme Court. He got Borked. He was a Reagan nominee, I think, right? Or was it Bush? Mm -hmm. Bush. Bork revealed nothing salacious. Judge Bork favored Alfred Hitchcock films, spy thrillers, and British costume dramas. Bipartisan concern over the privacy issues resulted in the passage of the Video Privacy Protection Act. Which no one has paid any attention to. Because nobody meantime. rents movies from Blockbuster anymore. Right. The but statute says... Any videotape service provider who knowingly discloses <laughs> personally identifiable information concerning any customer uh, can be liable for up to for at least $2,500 plus punitive damages and attorney's fees. So the theory is defendants have shared information about their customers' video viewing preferences with Facebook, though the videos at issue are not obviously the full-length movies you'd get at a blockbuster. In the Smucker's suit, for instance, the videos are How to Brew Coffee. <laughs> Lazy Boy said as a customer on video recounting her design story, the complaint alleges that Chick-fil-A owns or controls a website at evergreenhills.com, and whenever someone watches a video on the website, defendants secretly reported all the details to Facebook, sending them PII. Well, what's at evergreenhills.com? Yeah, that's what I'm... I oh, it's a Chick-fil-A Clicked thing. on... So it, Evergreen... Wait a minute. We are investigating suspicious activity on some customer accounts. Sure enough. So, so <laughs> we apparently... We are to protect... There's a Chick-fil-A breach. So where's the videos? If I watch a video on here... Oh, here it is. I'm going to watch a video of a guy in a cow suit. I hate these ads, by the way, these Chick-fil-A yeah, ads. Yeah, I do too. They're just terrible. Especially knowing what we know about this company. Yeah. Oh, the Chick-fil-A is so nice that when customers come in, our poor underpaid employees 
give them so stuff. So we try to pay in food, right. not money. Yeah. So I would just watch that video, and now Chick-fil-A is sending that information to Facebook, according to this guy? Because of a, of a like button or something, or a pixel? So, set? let's see here. This is using a tool that Facebook calls the Facebook Tracking Pixel. Uh, once the tracking pixel yeah, is embedded that, yeah. and activated, by the way, people are always asking us, always, advertisers say, uh, can you embed a tracking pixel? No, you can't. It's a podcast. Mm -hmm. You cannot put a tracking pixel on a podcast. All right. All right. No, uh, we do not do that. But apparently sites do. It reports the data to Facebook about the advertisers, customers on the site. Visio. Oh, yeah. So this is trying to do the same thing we do try to do where they're matching people who saw a Facebook ad for Chick-fil-A with people who ended up on the Chick-fil-A site. And then Facebook says, see, your ads work, right? Because right. we own half of the internet, we can tell you that, right? So and so the way we handle that, and I hope I, I'm trusting it's going to work. We use a, a company that was bought by Spotify, so God knows. But the idea is, uh, pod, it's called Pod Sites. A lot of podcasters use this. Pod Sites gets the IP addresses of all the downloads from us. They store those and keep them private and all that stuff. And then they get, they do put a tracking pixel on the advertiser's site. And that tracking pixel sends them a list of IP addresses, again, which they promise to keep private. They do a match, and they, they all they say to the Tour. advertiser is 30% of the people saw your ad on Twit ended up on your website or whatever. They don't give any information to either party. We don't get the information about the tracking pixel. The advertiser doesn't get information about downloads. And Pod Sites, as an independent third party, just gives them the one thing they really care about is did the ad work? So we try, we do, th so I bet you that's what's going on here is that same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, don't sue us because we really try hard. We're very, very <laughs> careful not to give up any. I asked them again and again. We went over this again and again. And they have covenants and agreements and contracts to say, yeah, no, no, that information stays. Well, this is somebody who just clearly wants to go after Facebook and the internet. Well, this is how stuff works. Uh, knowingly disclose information that is sufficient to permit an ordinary person to identify a specific individual's video viewing behavior. Interestingly, Facebook is not named. It's the advertiser that's named. But still, it's a way to attack part of Facebook's business, I think. In order to have this standing to sue in federal even. court, a plaintiff must have a concrete injury from the defendant's conduct. Hmm. So we'll see if he has standing even. I don't know. This will be interesting. We'll watch that. We'll keep yeah, an so eye on that. This a weird story. Yeah, yeah. i put that in there. Uh, all right. Other advantages. I didn't read the whole story. You read the whole story and explained it to me. I explained service. You should just have the explain to me section. Leo explains this. <laughs> well, Leo or you or you, Stacy. Stacy explains <laughs> piezoelectric <laughs> current. What is piezoelectric current? Uh. Well, piezo means to move, or it, piezos move, and I use them in energy harvesting. So anything that's powered by pie, piezos is harvesting energy from the difference in movement. So, huh. oh, piezo is the American Pizza. pronunciation. So yeah, it's like, Pizza. so I Pizza. know, I get it. In my, in my world, this is what happens when I wear corduroy pants. The <laughs> the rubbing together of gay. my thighs generates electricity <laughs> in the corduroy. If I happen to have a piezoelectric 
device to capture that. Daisy's not happy. <laughs> oh, here we go. The the piezoelectric effect is the ability of certain materials to generate an electric charge in response to applied mechanical yeah. stress. Oh, that's actually what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, corduroy. Yeah. Corduroy. I know. All right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. all right, all right. Okay. Let's go back again wow. to Webster's. That analogy. <laughs> oh, I got to turn my sound. It worked on. though. Got to turn my sound on. Piezo oh, yeah, it's a generating. Piezoelectric. Piezoelectrically. So it is piezo. Piezoelectric. Not piezo, piezo. There's two syllables. Interesting. Piezos. I learned something. I you were right piezo. in the first place. Piezo. Uh, I think I, I think said I may piezo. have said piezo. I said piezo. Oh, I see. Oh, so. Well, that's honest if okay. you do it. So that. what's the story with Minichug Regional High School, and why'd you put this story in the rundown, Jeff, oh you explained to me. It's time. I for thought Jeff. it was a Stacy story too, because <laughs> it's what happens when Internet of Things goes completely bad. <laughs> for a year and a half, a Massachusetts high school has been lit up around the clock because they can't turn off the lights. Oh no! It turns yeah, out that's the, the joke's over. That's yeah. all we needed. That's yeah. fine. But. It turns now, out the uh, the uh, the software. The software that turns off the lights has failed, and and apparently there's no switch. Better with it on than off. Yeah, well that's true. Um, it uses that's a, that's highly efficient fluorescent and LED bulbs. When possible, teachers have manually removed bulbs from fixtures, <laughs> while staffers have shut Jason's off dying. breakers not connected to the main system. But in, in you know, it it communicates. An image of profligacy. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. And besides, when you drive by the high school in the middle of the night and it's blazing bright, you got to wonder what's going on in there. There's hope on the horizon that lights at Minichog will soon be dimmed. Paul Mastone, the president of the Reflex Lighting Group, said, The parts we need to replace the system at the school have finally arrived from the factory in China. And we expect to do the installation over the February break. And this time, there will be a remote override switch, so this won't happen again. <laughs> and we'll make more money from the district. <laughs> uh, another story that I wasn't going to do, but Jeff, uh, Jeff, you're well, right. I, it's for your, it's for your option. All right, I put it in there. It's you gone on too long. Oh. Exposure. It's gone on too Wait. long. Exposure. Shot. What? I gave someone a wrong information. The do not pay robot lawyer apparently is not. They're postponing their actual court case because the state bar said no. Yeah, judges are notorious about not liking this kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it was Protect gonna it was gonna working. represent a client in court, probably not on some big issue, you know, some sort of small yeah. thing. But uh, Joshua Browder, who founded Do Not Pay, says, after threats from the state bar, I've declined to do this. So, all right. Wow. Postponing our we, court we, case. We did this when he started that company. We co we covered that the show. Ages oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, he's, he actually did quite well, right? They yeah. For a long time, it was like a, a parking tickets, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, let's do a quick Google change log and then wrap this thing up because Stacy's so sick of it. <laughs> I, could just tell. <laughs> I think I'm just getting sick. I think that's my oh, issue. Oh, <laughs> no. 
Google Clock 7.4 updates timer UI and tests buttons for ending alarms. This oh, just man, in. Nothing of the changelog this week. <laughs> if that's the start. Yeah. Android 13 QPR wow. beta 2.1 rolling out with Bluetooth and 5G fixes for Pixel. Google Meet is making it easier to share files during calls. And Waze now supports Android Auto's Cool Walk dashboard. Do you, actually, you want to see what it looks like? Yeah. I That's the Cool Walk dashboard. Ooh. Why is it called Cool Walk? You're driving. This is the redesign of Android Auto. Actually, I'm going to try this because I have, yeah, I'm going to try it tonight on my Mustang. I have Android Auto on my Mustang. Cool Walk is just the name of the dashboard. You get you get uh, panels so you can see what music you're listening to while you're looking at the map and stuff like that. Why is it called Cool Walk? <sighs> Explain that to me. That's its name, Jeff. Explain it to me, Leo. They paid Explain a very expensive branding company millions of dollars to test with consumers a variety <laughs> of names, including the new map. But you're driving. You're not walking. You're driving. It's true. I don't know. I don't we know what it means. Dance. I don't know what it means, but that's what they're calling it. And that's the Google change log. Scooter X had nothing this week, man. He was he was barren. Oh, wait a minute. He found one thing. Uh, uh, Nest Hub's new security page makes it harder to access live camera feeds. <laughs> oh, yeah. We talked about that on our show. <laughs> Is it a big deal? No, no, it is not. And I won't stop the um, uh, forward motion of this show. I just want to remind everybody of two important details. First, take the survey. Last chance. I'm not going to mention it again. Uh, it runs uh, through the end of the month, which means we're just uh, about six days off from the final chance that the survey helps us so we don't have to track you so we don't have to put tracking pixels in your podcast it's just the advertisers want to know a little bit about you know the general audience male female education that kind of thing answer a few questions it's completely optional we appreciate it if you do twit.tv slash survey 23 we also use it to you know kind of learn more about you and make sure we're on the right track with the programming and so forth so uh, it's it's really the once a year thing we do to kind of get to know you. Twit.tv slash survey23. Thank you in advance. Also a plug, which I am told I should do more often, and I really want to, to join our club. It is a very important way for us to monetize. We only had one ad on this show. Uh, it means, you know, generally one ad doesn't cover the costs of doing the show. Let's put it that way. Uh, but... How do we support this show? Thanks to you, your generous Club Twit members. What do you get? Ad-free versions of all the shows. You get access to the Club Twit Discord, which is a great community of really fun people. We have lots of time uh, talking in there. In fact, I go in there not only during the shows, but during the regular week because we talk about everything. I go in the coding section a lot. Anime, autos, beer, book club, gaming, hacking, ham radio, pets, software and travel gifts and, and memes to make you happy all oh, day long it is it is the key to memeing <laughs> jason, jason, jason is getting involved <laughs> uh all you have to do is give us seven dollars a month that's nothing you also get uh special events that we don't put out in public special shows that we don't make available in public like hands on windows hands on mac uh, our Untitled Linux show, The Giz Fizz. We've got some events coming up. Win2DAO, host of All About Android, February 9th. 
We're going to do that Daniel Suarez uh, interview for Triangulation and Ask the Tech Guys on February 10th, 11 a.m. But club members will get to ask Daniel questions directly. He's looking forward to that. I can't wait. Samable Samet will join us March 2nd. Lisa and I did an inside twit, which is available on the Twit Plus feed. <laughs> there goes Martin Sargent trying to catch us on a bicycle. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Where'd you find that, Patrick? Uh, wow. Anyway, it isn't much. We could, I think, we could and should charge a lot more. But Lisa's really good about saying no. Seven bucks. That's fine. That's all we need. If we could get right now, it's about. I think it's about two percent of the total. There's uh, if we were we have about seven hundred thousand unique listeners every month. If we could get five percent, thirty-five thousand members, we only have six thousand now. Get to five percent, it would make such a difference. It, our financial future would be assured. The lights would stay on. Everybody'd stay employed. We'd have to do layoffs, and we could launch new shows. That's all we ask. If we got to ten percent, we wouldn't even have to do ads anymore. I mean, it's that. That's a huge difference. So, huh? We wouldn't even have to do shows if we had 10%. We'd all just go home and let them give us money for nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is John's dream. I love true. Jammer B. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so dear. Toys. Uh, Twit.tv slash Club Twit. I mean, in all seriousness, it's really a great way to participate in, the, in our uh, community and to help us out. So thank you in advance. Now, now it's time for our picks of the week. We'll start with Stacy. If you have a thing, I'd like to know. I do have a thing, but I thought I brought it in, and I didn't. Um, well, so I can just it? tell you about it. Just tell us about well, it. I'll I mean, pull up a website if you give if you give me the It's info. the Jabra 85T over-the-ear Bluetooth and wired headphones. You oh, can plug it on your head. Thing. Ooh, oh. and wired. Is Jabra still around? I'm kind of amazed. They've started doing yeah, hearing you know aids, I think, right? They have, oh, you know what, and this is another thing. I'll just throw this out here because Kevin did a review this morning on the Apple II earbuds, Pro yeah, something. Apple Pro, yeah, uh, AirPods <laughs> Pro like, 2, AirPods Pro 2. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which I have, like, and I like a lot. They're very good. He uses them as hearing aids, and he says they're better than the new Hearas. Yeah, because um, so- Apple has a feature uh, where you can use your phone as a microphone. And it goes in the earbuds. You get ambient sound and stuff. And so if you are at a at dinner or something, you put the phone in the middle and you, yeah, you hear quite well. It's quite good. And they're well, comfortable. It's, he actually doesn't, he doesn't he use doesn't it that, do that way. Oh, he, okay. He doesn't do that. What he did is he uploaded his audio graphic profile from a site called Mimi. And he then went into the accessibility panel. Oh. And he now like custom tuned his headphones to his hearing. Oh, I'm going to have to do and, this. Yeah, go check out. Okay, so this will be my thing because it's actually I had it's no on idea. The, it's and on the podcast actually, this week. It's on Stacy on IoT. The AirPods Pro Two Second Gen as smart hearables puts a smile on my face. Oh, really cool. Oh, I'm gonna. Yeah, okay, so, so I have the AirPods too. I'm gonna have to try. They have noise cancellation. They also have the ability to mix ambient sound into the audio. Um, why is my font so ugly on your computer? Because I'm in Linux. What Linux. font would you like it? Oh, what, what font would you no, like? No, I just be? I'm like God. That's hideous. What font do you? <laughs> it looks fine to me. What font would you like it to be? What's it supposed to be? I, Tell Andrew to I use a, a WebSafe font. If he's using a okay. a font or not using a downloadable font, yeah, I'm not going to see it. I'm using Firefox on uh, Manjaro Linux. You could tell him that. 
And it's just a plain old sans serif. It looks like Helvetica or something. Yeah. It's well, ours is, yeah, it's probably, no, it's hideous. God, whenever I see you pull up my website, I'm like cringing. Really? It's actually a little yeah. bolder. I, I kind of like it better. Oh, maybe it, the, it is bolder. It's just ugly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know off the, ask Andrew what font you use, and I'll just make sure that that's the font I use from now on. Um, I mean, I have okay. it installed. I'll, if I'll, I install it, it would then do it probably. Here, I'll, I'll yeah. later. I'll look in the developer tools. Okay. Well, I've switched my thing apparently to Kevin's Kevin's review of the hearables because we got sidetracked. But yes, the other thing is the Jabra um, eighty five. I'm just making it. Hold on. I got to tell you what it is. Really, I'm looking at your uh, site <laughs> on uh, on uh, John's MacBook. Oh yeah, that's nice. It's very thin. Thin. Yeah, thin. it is. I like mine better. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> We're old, Stacy. You're young. <laughs> oh, the All Jabra right. Elise. These are old. The 85Ts. Yes. So I this have is... these, actually. Yeah, I they're think. great. Yeah. I just, like, I bought them. They're not new or anything like that. But not expensive. In the sense of 140 like, bucks. They were even cheaper than that, I think. No, oh, nice. But yeah. They were like 100 bucks. Oh, wow. Well, nice. wait, wait. One of them is an earbud. One of them was a, was a headset. What do you what do you pump it here? But basically, well, my husband is in this little tiff because I wander around listening to audiobooks when I'm doing things, and he can't tell because like, this is inside your ear. Yes, and he gets so pissy. I, my, he's just like, oh, you talk about the eighty five. Speaking to you, Stacy. No comment. You talk about the eighty five H. Uh, I had the T. Yes. Okay. The H. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, interesting. But yeah. So, so now this is a visible indicator that I am listening to my audio. I mean, like, I'm like, look, if I am running around the house doing laundry and like washing dishes, you can just walk next Lisa to me. Lisa does exactly and- the same thing. And I'm talking to her and she doesn't know mm-hmm. I'm talking she to her. ignores you. And I think she's ignoring me. But no, she's listening to a book. I probably do it yeah. to her, too. So these I are red over the ear headphones that sound yes. great, probably. They sound amazing, and I customize mine. I these are jobbers as well, so I customize mine and to my hearing profile, like my preferences, Uh, rather. That Um, is the key. So Android devices usually have that built in with with in their sound settings, but uh, he goes to Mimi to do this. Do you customize them mm-hmm. with Mimi or do you use a, a Jabra app? Oh, no, that's okay. So I use the Jabra app. You okay. can't, I, I don't think I can bring in Mimi stuff. So yeah, these are two separate things that yeah, I'm yeah. apparently telling you about. No, but Sorry. I didn't know about Mimi. But, so this is a new but yeah, new thing to me. I've used Mimi to test my hearing too. It's, I mean, it's, it's free. So why M-I-M-I. Not? It's a, oh, it's an app. Okay. Yeah, it's just okay. an app. Oh, nice. Little hearing app. I used this a long time ago. I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the audiologist test. Yeah. Yeah, they make sounds in your left ear and your right ear, and if if you can hear it. Yeah. Okay. You should do it with the uh, Kevin? with the device that you're using. But I didn't know that it up it could upload the the profile to the profile. So that's that's, cool. uh, that's what I thought was really cool is he yeah. could send he sends his audiogram to the iPhone. He hit the accessibility setting settings, and then there's a whole section that lets you tune the sound to your audiogram nice. or you can choose sounds. Nice. I'm going to do this. That's so great. So go check that out. Yeah. And you all should check out the Jabra 85H Elites noise canceling. Are they noise canceling? Beach. Yeah, they're noise canceling. Nice. Um, I like they the also white hear one. Through. I would get the white one. Those look pretty. 
I got the titanium ones because they were 50 bucks less. Oh. Because I'm cheap. Mine are black and silver. There. Yeah. That's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were, I think they were 150 Nice. Well, yeah, because these, here, these yeah. yeah, these are list for two fifty. Nice. Yeah, I think I bought mine for two one fifty. Nice. I mean, again, I'm I've got some devices that are not that, but I can't. I think tell it's you so cool that yet, you so. care so much about Andrew, thinking you're not paying attention to him that you wear these just so he will. Well, know. he just gets so cranky. He's just <laughs> I just you're cannot handle it. He's irritable. I know. I, just, Lisa hates it when I'm irritable too. I understand. Yeah, and, irritable uh, husband. And also. <gasps> Go to StacyOnIoT.com and read this article about uh, turning your AirPod Pro 2 into headphones, uh, hearables. Nice. Hearing aids. Mr. Jeff Jarvis, number of the week. Can I ask you a question first real quick? You have a Pixel 7, right? Right in front of me, right here. Yes, sir. Did you, have you turned on clear calling? No, we were going to talk about this, and I'm curious. I'm just, yeah, you had it in the list. I'm yeah. just curious, because that, that might even make me buy one. All right, I'll so turn next it on. Week, I'll, next next week, week, I'll give you a, a report. Okay. So back. here's my thing. Yeah, I, a couple of things real quick. So if you go to, so, so you, you see my office here, ten out of ten, beautiful. I'm right by Skype room. Beautiful. It's well wonderful. done. Well, I have gorgeous. kind of a, a vaulted ceiling here. Yeah, which leads Fancy. to I'm I'm bringing in the carpenters next week. <laughs> no, don't do it. this, Jeff. I'm doing it. I just can't wait. <laughs> don't do this, Jeff. Don't do it. Look what he well, wants to do. This is a do. story. It's Altoids. It's in <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. This, don't do it. This uh, mountain building engineer had a, a collection of 70,000 books, likely the largest private collection in all of Germany, in a single-family home. And for those of you who are on audio, he built um, shell in, in a vaulted ceiling. It is completely filled with books. There's 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 wood slats to hold the bin, and Good they are Lord. they are uh, obsessively sized, and covers the entire ceiling, every wall, plus one bookshelf. Seventy thousand books in one house. So I'm gonna guess he never looks at the books in the ceiling. I mean, I, what does he have to do to get to that not, book? I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty well locked in and he doesn't live in earthquake country like we do because that that is a recipe for <laughs> death hurt. problematic problematic that's the word <laughs> i'm scared of my book my normal bookshelves right you, know, you, you don't have them affixed with yeah, the little things you gotta strap them to the wall and everything yeah uh i can't remember if we did that or not there's always Mine's strapped in. There's something in the host office there, um, like a shelf. And I remember Mr. Burke, when I first got here, going in and doing some type of reinforcement on that thing. And I'm like, I'm going to have to do it for kids, too. Yeah, I'm going to have to get uh, Burke to come to our house and do this. LG recalls <laughs> LG recalled 52,000 86-inch TVs because they fall over. <laughs> 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 Whoops. Uh so you know, you gotta pay attention to that stuff. We have our, our hot water heaters strapped, stuff like that. In earthquake country, yeah, you gotta attach stuff to the wall so it Also matter. if you have little kids, chimney, you know, the pull them over. Bookshelves. Also, yeah, your chimney yeah, they outside. pull them onto themselves. This would yeah, I had a permanent bump on my head from pulling a chair over onto my head when I was a aww. kid. This oh that could explain a lot actually. Yeah, that's 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 a joke my family makes quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
This would, you don't have to worry about toddlers pulling books off the ceiling. No. But I don't know how you get books off it's the ceiling. every inch. Right. It's just amazing. I just, but I can just, you imagine I the sound? The sound quality in there must be great. Must be so dead. Oh, that's, yeah. that's the I was going to say, pow. can you imagine the dust and the, like, Ooh. what if like little wormies Rodents? get in there? Yeah. And, yeah. Bookworms, mm, literally. Well, he's German. He probably doesn't have any of those. All right, that's uh, Jeff's pick of the week. Mr. Ant Pruitt, your turn. My pick. I wanted to talk about this on my show, but then I did a bit of a, I guess you can say, unofficial survey and figured probably wouldn't fit for my, my particular audience, but maybe the, this week in Google audience would. Because they're it, because it's more wealthy. Pricey. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. That just looks good. I like how that looks. What is this? It? Is the what Stella? is that? Stella Pro Reflex S light. Uh, this is a constant light, um, but you can also use it as a strobe and have it connect to your camera to, to be a flash instead of just a constant light. The beauty of it that I enjoy is the fact that I can take this standard trigger here. This is just an old Godox trigger to, that I could put on my camera. It costs maybe $60 for this, and it will fire this, this Reflex S off. And if I want to shoot 10 frames a second, it will do it. Click, 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 you know, really, really fast. Um, instead of having to do what they call high-speed sync, because only certain flashes allow you to have high-speed sync, where you can shoot at a certain shutter speed and be able to get the maximum amount of power out of your strobe. All of this is just sort of built in. You don't even have to think about it. Just set it up either with blue, with the Bluetooth connection or use the uh, transmitter and set your channels and things like that. It's super daggum cool. But yes, it's a little bit pricey for most people that listen to my show. But this thing is pretty freaking badass. You and think, it's about 100 watts you think um, light power. Are, are loaded. Is that is that the thinking here? That's pretty much what I said, yeah. <laughs> you should all join the club as a result. It's all, because of, much what I it's said. all because of Scooter X. He's really brought Scooter. the average out. <laughs> right. But it's bright. I mean, again, if you want to use it as a constant light, you can use it for a video light. So it's 100, 100 watts in power. If I wanted to use this for the show, I could, and it'll be a nice key light. I, there's two or, reasons I like this. It's the old school. Remember the photographers? They'd put the hood over their head, and they'd hold up yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, the gunpowder yep. strobe, and they'd go, watch the birdie. You could do that. You could, because this only weighs about a pound and a half, two pounds max. You it's need a hood, heavy. but other than that, watch the bird. <laughs> but then the other, and of course, off-camera flash is always better than on-camera flash. Off-camera is always yeah. better. So even and, arm's length would be better, right? Yep. And this allows you to um, connect like a Bowens mount on the front of it, because this is just an LED light, but it's modular. You oh, can put okay. a Bowens mount nice. on the front of it. It's powered by USB-C, so you can charge it up with USB-C. Oh, USB How long does it last? Or plug it in. Uh, if you want to go full power constant light, it's like 6,000 lumens, I believe. Wow. And it'll stay Oof. on for half an hour, but you, oh, don't, need, that's nice. you don't need that much light. <laughs> Just turn what, it down. Is it my imagination? Hour or so. Was there like a, a Jimmy so. Stewart movie where Ernest Borgnine's a bad guy and is trying to stab him and Jimmy keeps flashing his... His strobe at him, and he goes ah, and he oh can... man, that'll kill you. <laughs> is that it? Is that something I just you know dreamed? No, once? you're right. You're right. It was. I what feel movie like was I don't that? know what the movie. I don't was. know the movie, but oh, the chat room was too young to remember. Yeah, we need oh, more old timers that? around here. Oh, well, it was it was no, yeah, yeah, I know what it was. It was um, 
uh, for, rear window. It was it rear window? Yeah, yeah. Was he was window. a photographer yeah. in rear window, yeah. and right. he was in a big I don't hip know cast. What y'all talking about? And who was the <laughs> bad guy? It's an Alfred Hitchcock. Movie. Oh, it's a, oh, Ant. Oh, well, it's a good Robert. movie. You no, really should it. watch it. Okay. Oh, Ant. It's about a photographer who is. Oh, you'd love it. He broke his leg. He's got the best girlfriend ever. She was the princess of Monaco, Grace yeah. Kelly. <laughs> Ooh, and uh, and okay. uh, he—that's not part of the plot. No, no. But I, it's it's. But she's. she's I just really, felt like he might be confused. She's she's really <laughs> okay. cute, and uh, and uh, there's a cute scene at the beginning where she takes her jammies out of her purse. But that's another thing that's stuck in okay. my mind. But, it, in the day. but it's really about it's really about a photographer who is kind of confined to his apartment, and he looks out the back window and he thinks he's seen a murder. And uh, don't get the one with Christopher. Uh, that's not it. No, there was no. a, get the 1954 classic. Is it classic Rear Window. Rear Window. Oh my God, was this a great movie? I can't uh, believe. I'm jealous you haven't seen it, especially as a photographer. Watch it again. 1954. Yeah, that's okay, probably why it's an old it. movie. But what a great it. movie it is. And yeah, there is a scene, isn't there? Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's at the. Uh, well, I don't. Want Raymond to Burr. Away, yes. Raymond Burr was Raymond the bad Burr. guy. He was the guy who he, uh, Jimmy Stewart thinks committed Grace murder. Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter, yeah, Raymond Burr. Oh, such a good movie. And I okay. love Jimmy I'll Stewart. I'll add that to the queue as well. Uh, do you wow, watch old movies? Do you, see, to me. do you see old movies no, ever? No, sir. I, oh. it, but again, I'm going to do my best to try to watch more more movies this year. This would be a, a good one because the hero's a, a photographer, a war photographer. Body Sweet. Double is the same idea. It is the same idea. Uh, and a great movie in its own right, but I think uh, Rear Window's the classic. Nice. And, and just because, I think you'll like it because of the way the sets are constructed, you know, because, you know, it's a Hollywood movie. It's not filmed on location. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's very, it's interesting. I think you will enjoy yeah. it. And then watch well, for watch for the moment when he, uh, when he blinds uh, Raymond Burr with his strobe, which you could do <laughs> with your reflex. Yes, the Reflex S. Now on sale for $767. Bucks. That's all. Got a, got a budget now. Oh, you're making my stuff look cheap. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty well um, equipped over there, Ant. You got some. I got a lot of gear. I do. So yeah. I never shy away from a gig. Hint, do you do, uh, do, you do you weddings know. or uh, things like that? or? I'm sticking. I'm staying away from weddings because I don't want that pressure. I'll just yeah. Be Those with people you. are crazy. That's, I don't blame you. That's yeah. One person's one shot, and yeah. you don't get any do over. So I, I don't want that. But I am uh, going to pitch someone for some event stuff here. Uh, I got a feeler out here locally. So Lisa and uh, my uh, our our wedding anniversary is coming up on uh, Sunday, and oh. uh, yeah, and you have hair, and I have hair this time. <laughs> And uh, but you know what's sad? I, I was thinking about this because yeah, I had shaved my head for an for to raise money. For New Year's Jeff, Eve, Jeff was bet. there. It wasn't a bet. It raised money for UNICEF, and we did. I also have a, a tattoo I'm not proud of, but that's another story. Uh, but uh, the sad thing to me is, so we got married seven years ago in um, a beautiful place in Napa that has since burned to the ground. It's gone. Oh no. I was thinking about the wedding photographer. He was wonderful. We had a great wedding photographer. But all we have is the pictures. That place is is ashes. Mm. That's that the place you were also going to before the fire? They said, yes. don't come. We got there. Uh, got it there. was smoky. Oh. We started to check in. They said, 
you know. Oh yeah, I remember that too. We years might ago. have to evacuate. They did not. Can- they did not cancel our reservation, but thank God the desk clerk went. You know, uh, we think we might have to get evacuated. I probably wouldn't check in. As we're driving back down the long road to it, we get a text message saying, "Go home. We're closed." <laughs> yeah. So we we got out of there, but that it, that it did not get burned down that time. It got burned down in a second. Oh, wildfire! Okay. A couple wow. of years later. It's mean oh. out there. It's tough. God says California shouldn't be lived in. It should we be should visited. We should not be here. Abandoned CA. I, I, I like it here. Quite, I do too. Frankly. You're getting whole, your whole family move out from North Carolina. The whole no, no humidity here, man. That's, oh, that's the, what I'm talking The climate about. here is superb. Yeah. Even yes. when it's cold, it's superb. Even when it's pouring rain, it's superb. Even, dare I say, when there's an earthquake and your ceiling full of books hits you in the head, <laughs> it's <laughs> superb. But it's not superb. But you got to go over a bridge that might collapse because it's only in fair condition. <laughs> That's a good point. Fair condition. That's a good point. Mr. Ant Pruitt, hands-on photography, twit.tv slash hop. What's coming up next? Uh, this week, I'm finally diving into drone photography and drone video. Ooh. I'm going to share some insights on that. I've gotten questions in the past, but never been able to really get around to them because other stuff pops up. But I'm going to talk about using a drone for photography and should you use a drone for photography and video. We teach that at our school. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A guy named Travis Fox does that. You should look him up. Because I have that Mavic Mini Pro, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I really like it. I hardly ever use it because I can't think of a reason to. But Yeah, uh, yeah that's part of the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you, you know, that once you take the discussion, once you take a bunch of videos of your house from the air, you're kind of done. <laughs> Fine. <Yeah. laughs> so Richard Jingris at Google uh, adores his. He takes them everywhere, and he loves the seashore. Yeah. It's oh, favorite. it's yeah. so pretty. You know, yeah. I'm going to watch because I'm going to watch because I feel like I I need some in- inspiration uh, to do more stuff with my uh, DJI Mini. So oh, my yeah. my child actually watched your hands on photography for pet photography. Believe oh, it. Oh, with, with with Captain Nick Anderson. Oh, that's yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So there you go. Um, Captain Nick's awesome. Was... He's so daggum cool and really good at what he does. Thank you, Mister. Oh, um, oh, wait a minute. Let's I talk about Hardhead real quickly. One more thing. Yeah. Yes. Hardhead here. If you click on that link and go to his Instagram page, you'll see a photo of him. Yeah. Um, but if you look over there up under his name, there's two words there. <gasps> He's making money selling shoes. Oh, so, these are good shoes, I, these Adams. Oh, yeah. So I want to give a shout out to him and a shout out to Adams because Adams, um, remember, I got some shoes from them sometime last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were big enough. Um, they reached out and asked if I would want to shoot, and not, and I said straight up, I said, you know what, these shoes are way too nice for me, too nice for Aunt Pruitt, <laughs> but I would, I don't mind working with you all, but I'd rather you all work with my son, and you pay my son. I can't believe your son like is a full grown man now. Yeah, <laughs> I oh, can't yeah. believe this, sweet, dude. He's, He's like a, a grown up. He also so. has acquired your bad habit of wearing black socks when wearing at working out. Oh no, black socks is the that. way to go, baby. That's it. I thought That's, like you're working out. I was always told. Yeah. In fact, I remember when I was a kid in gym in PE, they said, "No, no, you have to wear white socks. No black socks allowed." Because and it, they implied like the the dye in the socks would seep into your bloodstream and kill you. That'd make up ridiculous. Oh gosh. Oh, well, okay. that, that's and a egg yolks weird. are bad for you too, Mister Laporte. <laughs> 
So, but I but I wear those white, you know, athletic socks. So the tube socks. You wear them with your sandals. All too? of my athletic socks are black. I haven't had white athletic socks in I don't know a decade or so. They're all they black. Are they are they athletic anymore. socks or just dress? Yeah, they're socks? athletic socks. They're special no, they're socks. Athletic socks. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's all I wear is Nike black socks. You yeah. too. Yeah. Do I look like an old man when I wear yep, white you socks? Do. Yep, especially you when you have your shorts and your <laughs> my Birkenstocks your sandals on. When I wear my so white socks and my shirt. Birkenstocks, <laughs> please don't do that, sir. <laughs> your Crocs, I have those too. The most uncomfortable thing I've ever had on my feet funny. in my life. I was very unsubset because I thought you could wash those in the dishwasher, and they shrank. Oh boy! Oh gosh, dude! Really? <laughs> my, Crocs, my Crocs shrank. You're not supposed to shrink. You know, we need memes of Stacy doing just what she's doing now. <laughs> we have them. We oh, have them. If you're in our Club Twit Discord, we have a Stacy hand and head uh, icon <laughs> that you could. Uh, oh, we do? Oh, gosh, yes. Let me see here. There it is. There, there it is, right there. I've never seen that. There it is. Oh, good. Oh. That, that, that comes up a lot. It does. It does indeed. Another it reason really does. to join Club Twit, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Aunt. Twit.tv slash hop. See him in the club. He's our community manager. Stacy yeah. is at Stacy on IOT.com, the IOT podcast. At Giga Stacy on Twitter. Thank you, Stacy. Appreciate it. Always great to Thank see you. you. Mr. Jeff Jarvis, of course, we know him. Frank Sinatra called him a bum. Ray Kroc called him a nickel millionaire. He is the director of the Town Heights Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism at the Craig, Craig, Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. What is that? Was that like bagpipes? Wait, wait, yeah, what just happened? Sorry, what I was that? On a video. Ominous music. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Can we, all right. Here's a challenge to bad. all of our listeners a bagpipe version of the Craig Newmark. There we go. <laughs> Here. We'll call it Amazing Craig. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We do this week in Google every Wednesday about 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. You can watch live at live.twit.tv or listen live. We stream both. If you're watching or listening live, chat live at irc.twit.tv, open to all, or in our Club Twit Discord. After the fact, you can get uh, on-demand versions of the shows from the website, twit.tv slash twig. There is a dedicated YouTube channel to This Week in Google. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast player, which would probably be the best thing to do. If you will, if your podcast player allows reviews, give us a five-star review. Let the world know about the best dang show on a Wednesday afternoon they could ever possibly listen to. That's it for Twig. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Don't miss All About Android every week. We talk about the latest news, hardware, apps, and now all the developer goodness happening in the Android ecosystem. I'm Jason Howell, also joined by Ron Richards, Florence Ion, and our newest co-host on the panel, Wen Tu Dao, who brings her developer chops. Really great stuff. We also invite people from all over the Android ecosystem to talk about this mobile platform we love so much. Join us every Tuesday, All About Android, on twit.tv.